0: The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces Way of Life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GoRuck link to learn more about their gear and events. And a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid7Podcast. Well, hello, world, and Happy New Year from the Solid7Podcast, a better an average podcast, if I do say so myself, this is not a show about nothing, but it's also not a show about any one thing. Each week, we like to get together with a guest, talk about whatever is going on in the world that interests us. And may we get a good one uh, this week? We are starting off the year right. I don't want to. I don't want to overhype this, but there's. I don't know if there. I want to say there's true crime vibes coming in this episode, or like uh, M. Night Shyamalan vibes, but I'm going to say like, don't give up too, too soon. Just wait for the twist. That's all I'm saying uh, for this episode of the podcast as we welcome. Now, the funny thing is here, literally, I just asked you for the correct correct pronunciation um, uh, just a second ago and already it's gone from my brain. So I'm going to start the introduction and you as the guests are going to end the introduction. So welcome to the solid seven podcast, Lieutenant Colonel Marissa. Chirichella. Chirichella. It's not even that bad. It's, it's actually, I mean, you guys will see it in the show title. It's pretty phonetic.
1: It is. If you see it and you hear it and then you know how to say it, it's pretty simple.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm just evidently darn near illiterate is the problem. Um, So hooked on phonics. It did not work for me. I'm gonna get my money back. So well thanks for doing this. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited.
0: Now um you're like you're a thoroughly squared away guest in that before I could even mention it as we're booking, you're like, and I need to to get a Jocko Go, I need to pur- procure the nectar of the gods. And I'm like, yeah, you do. The fans will expect it. And and you did. So what'd you which one did you get?
1: Um, I got the 50-50, the tea lemonade. Formerly
0: known as Jocko Palmer. And I'm sure there was some, some golfers are savage. They'll come after you. So I'm sure there were some attorneys involved there. Where'd you end up finding it?
1: Well, let me just tell you. We looked all over. We went from our house to Fort Bragg to find a place that had it. It wasn't at the PX. It wasn't at the at We wound up going to a uh, vitamin shop, and they had multiple flavors there. And then my husband went grocery shopping this afternoon. Do you know the grocery store right by our house had them <laughs> the entire time? We had no idea. That's
0: fantastic. Yeah, it's been spreading for the longest time. You had to order from them or Amazon. Uh, and, and then they got into Wawa's in Florida first um, because, you know, Jocko Fuel appreciates freedom. And why wouldn't you start uh, Jocko Go on the Shells here first? And then they were in Vitamin Shop. And now it's really kind of spread. So I know like yep. uh, out in Texas, they're in, uh, like, I don't know. I'm not a Texan. I wish I was. Everybody who's not a Texan wishes they were. So I don't know if you say H E B or if it's HEB, but they're in mm-hmm. some of those and they're getting in some more grocery stores now. So it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, well, the Harris Teeter. The Harris Teeter in North Carolina has them, so now I know. There
0: you go. Good to know. All right. Well, let's crack these bad boys open, get the podcast started right. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Ooh, that is good. That's a
0: legit first sip reaction. This is your first one, right? It's yeah, this is my first one.
1: It's really good. Yeah,
0: they're fan- and 100% guilt-free. It's not like any of the other garbage energy drinks. It's not a bunch of sugar. It's not a crazy amount of caffeine. Uh, it just uh, you know gives you gives you that edge to to get after it.
1: Yeah, I like it, and it also says the increased focus, which who could not love that? I need increased focus. Yeah,
0: we all do. don't do we all? So uh, I went I went old school here for the longest time. Mango was by far the best flavor, top of the heap, hands down, no questions asked. And uh, But they reformulated everything recently. And now there's almost no losers, and there's also almost no winners. Uh, so Mango hasn't been as heavy in the rotation, but I was feeling a little tropical tonight, maybe because uh, it's dipping into the 30s here in Central Florida um, tonight. <laughs> now, listeners, if you're in Central Florida and like you're looking out your window, you're like, it's not 30s. We're recording way early for this episode. Uh, and that went down as me going... Hey Marissa, what do you think about coming on the podcast? And you're fired up, ready to go. You're like, "Let's do it!" I'm like, "How about this date? Nope. How about this date? Nope. How about this date? Nope." <laughs> and uh, December 23rd, that's where we landed. So everyone should be a little impressed that I remembered to lead with Happy New Year, because of course this will. If you're listening to this, it's January 2nd or later. That's just professional broadcasting. There, that's just
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although it's freezing here too in North Carolina, and the wind chill was in the negatives, which is psychotic, if you ask me. Yes. We're not used to that weather. No.
0: I remember I lived up there for a couple of years. I moved up there uh, in 2004. I was up there for about two years. And right after I moved was like the worst snowstorm. I was in uh, Cabarrus County. I was in Concord, Charlotte area. And uh, it was like the worst snowstorm And I don't know how long before that. But we got like 13 inches and everything shut down because nobody was used to snow. And none of the municipalities were prepared for it. So like all of Cabarrus County at the time owned like two salt trucks and that wasn't getting it done. So we were all out of work for like a week. It was was like adult snow days. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, we, uh, that often happens here, you know, when the, there's a threat of snow or a prediction of ice, they'll cancel the next day for school, or they'll give a two hour delay the day before. It's just crazy. We're, you know, like I grew up in New York city and Pennsylvania, and we oftentimes didn't have any sort of delays or um, any sort of cancellations unless it was super bad. So um, it's just interesting to see the dynamic between how different states are with with weather. Yeah.
0: I, I we moved I moved down here very to Florida very young, but I was born in Illinois. Um and I remember I don't have a ton of Illinois memories. Um because I was five, I think five when we moved down here, maybe six. Um and but I remember like we were close enough to the school that we would my sister and I would walk to school. My sister's six and a half years older than me. And one of the memories I do have is being outside of the school like waiting to get in, in the morning. And it being so cold that I was crying. Like I was in tears it was painfully cold and no one cared. It's like, no, this, it's not near cold enough for you to cry about it. Um, So I'll admit I might've been a little soft there. I don't remember if I was the only one in tears, but I don't, I'd like to see some snow every now and then, but I don't miss that.
1: Yeah, at least if it's going to be cold, I want there to be a reason for the cold. So having the snow makes it worth it. Yeah. In my opinion, anyway.
0: So are you guys supposed to get snow?
1: No, we're not supposed to get snow. Although they did say down at the coast that they might get some snow. Um, But for the most part, it's just been really windy and
0: cold. That's such a ripoff to have to put up with those temps and not get snow out of it. I know. I agree. There was a brief period here this week where Apple's like native weather app was showing the little snow icon for our city on like Tuesday. Um, and it was up for about 30 minutes and everybody screenshot it and everything shifted and that went away. Uh, but our five-year-old now each night has added snow to the prayer list, uh, leading up to this little, this little cold snap. So I don't think it's going yeah. yeah. to gonna happen. Well- I don't want to put God in the Everybody, box.
1: I know, but all the kids, you know, everyone wants a white Christmas. So they see all these movies and they see Santa in the snow and they think, well, maybe, maybe we'll get snow. So kudos to your child yeah. for praying for snow. Well,
0: we'll see. We were up recently. We were just in North Florida. Um, as people are listening to this a couple of weeks ago, right before Christmas, and it, it got pretty cold Uh, While we were up there, but we, we met a friend of ours and had some lunch and she's a native up there and was talking about remembering when it snowed up in Jacksonville enough that they built snowmans in like 86. And that's, that's about the last time it snowed almost anywhere down here. So we'll, we'll see. I say all this, like it's a happy possibility when the rest of the country is like surviving Arctic conditions and can't go outside without getting frostbite. So
1: Exactly. We're actually headed to Detroit and visiting my husband's side of the family. And it is freezing up there. I don't know how we're going to brave the cold every single day to go and sightsee, but, you know, layers, I guess.
0: I I just remember from, I want to say, like a Jack London novel, uh, a character like spitting out in the cold to see if it would freeze before it hit the ground to judge if it was safe or not. So that's my solid seven tip to those of you. If you're still braving uh, as you're listening to this, these cold temps, maybe stick your head outside spit. And if you hear it crackling before it hits the ground, maybe just go back to bed. Maybe just go back inside, grab an extra blanket and call it a day.
1: That's good advice. I'll take that with me to Detroit. That'll be my test. Yeah.
0: Survival tips from the solid seven podcast. So well, we we led with the title because it's an impressive one. It's not an easy get. We we led with lieutenant colonel, uh, but of course you you weren't born a lieutenant colonel. Um, no, I don't think that can be done outside of possibly a dictatorship. Like maybe, uh, what was what was Saddam's son's names? Hude and uh, they're not worth remembering. But anyways, outside of a dictatorship, you don't you're not born into. Uh, to a rank like that. So, where where's where's the start? What's your story?
1: Okay. Um I mean, how far back do we want to go? Do we want to go like I mean, pre-birth? It was yeah, it was
0: it was, <laughs> you know, it was a cold and rainy day outside and the the water broke and I mean, let's just <laughs> Let's go for the whole thing here.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, I um I was adopted into a wonderful family in Brooklyn, New York. Um, My mom um, was a New York City school teacher. My dad was a New York City firefighter, uh, FDNY. Um, They were told they couldn't have children, and they decided to adopt. And back in the early 80s, you could put out classifieds in the newspaper saying, looking for a child. And the only requirement was that you had to set up a separate phone line, and you obviously needed a lawyer involved when somebody did um, call. So one day the phone rang, and there was a woman from Wisconsin who said, hey, I am interested in... um, giving my daughter up for adoption. I just can't take care of her. Um, I have an 18 18 month old son and I had this child with a different man than the father of my current child and I just don't think I can make it work. So of course my mom was over the moon and her and my dad started, you know, the process of adoption Um, and she was in Wisconsin. So she had to give birth in New York City for them to complete the adoption. And um, her water broke three weeks early and she got on an airplane, mind you, 1984. Um, so things are a little bit different back then, but she got on an airplane and my parents had a, um, an ambulance waiting and she went straight to the hospital. And I was born in the hospital. Um, I went home with my mom and dad um, and then, I mean, God's plans a month later, my mom was pregnant with my brother. Um, and then like,
0: like that story, is just so repeatable over and over again, I know,
1: over and like over the, again. Yes. Yeah, it's The
0: like, second the pressure's off, the second yes. people aren't worrying about it, just bam.
1: Yeah, exactly. So and, well, um, real quick,
0: can we talk about the craziness of like. Putting out a classified ad for uh, yes. like, like I've got a I've got an espresso maker on Facebook Marketplace <laughs> for sale right now, and that process is not super different from how your adoption began.
1: Correct, and I think because it was so different than what it is today, um, and it was so uncommon. I mean, my mom would tell me stories. In fact, we were just talking about this, um, not too long ago. And she had told me that when she got pregnant with my brother, people actually asked her if she was going to turn me back in. <laughs> like if, if she was going to like yeah. say, Oh, well I have a I re- I have one of my own, so I don't need this you one know, anymore. What's, what's the
0: return policy on this kid? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. But it was just so uncommon for families to do that. And it, I don't, I don't want to say that it was looked down upon, but because it was so uncommon, it was just, you know, it was different. And yeah. because it was different, people didn't understand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, classified, a classified ad. Well,
0: and to see what it's become now, like we looked at the fostering process for a while and we also were looking into adoption at one point uh, before either of our kids were born. And I mean, it's tougher than buying a house. It's tougher than I think Elon bought Twitter with less paperwork and less scrutiny than it takes to adopt a child. And to some degree, rightfully so, right? I get it. Like if, if for some reason I was having to give our children to someone to raise them and live with them, I'd want that same level of scrutiny. The flip side is like, you can just go crank out kids. Like you can just go make kids. Uh, regardless of means or circumstance or home life. And I'm like let like, let's put some of these people through that application process. <laughs> let's, right. Let's be-
1: I mean, think about having your kids or, you know, I have an 11 year old. No one came in and checked to make sure that my house was ready for a child to come into it and no one checked the outlets, no one, you know, there was no like safety check and no one did a background check on me as a parent. So it's very interesting to see how much goes into fostering and adoption. And, and it's very expensive nowadays too, um, to adopt. So, cause we've looked into it as well. Cause I would love to give the same opportunity to another child that my family gave to me. Um, but yeah, it's very expensive.
0: Yeah. So you're you're in this you find yourself in this uh, now large uh, New York Italian family. What's what's childhood like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I had a fantastic childhood. My family was very tight knit. Um, my mom's parents lived around the corner from her um, in our, uh, our house in New York City in Brooklyn, and then my dad's parents lived in Queens, about ten minutes away. Um, My mom's sister was right up the street and my dad's siblings were right there. So we had a very tight knit family and we were constantly around our um, grandparents and cousins and um, it was a great upbringing. Um, Unfortunately, I lost my grandparents very young um, and we had moved from New York City to Pennsylvania. We had had A weekend home up there um, in like a seasonal community that had skiing and a lake and a pool. And we would go up there, you know, once a month or um, during the summer for a couple of weeks. And then when my grandmother passed away, my mom's mom, um, we had determined that that was kind of one of the the last things keeping us there, so we decided that we were going to move up to um, Pennsylvania officially. So we moved up to Pennsylvania when I was in fifth grade. Um, and in fifth grade, yes, I met my best friend in Pennsylvania. She just uh, threw that in the chat. There. <laughs> the live um, chiming in there. Yes, so um, we moved to Pennsylvania, in northeastern PA, about two hours outside of um, New York City. Um, And it was a bit of a culture shock because we had lived the city life and now we were living the country life. It was very rural. You had to drive everywhere. Um, It was very different, Um, but it put me on a path that sort of changed the trajectory of my life Um, while I was in fifth grade. So I was 10 years old, took a field trip to West Point and I came home and I told my parents, Hey, I want to go to West Point. And I had no one in my family. My grandfather had served a little bit um during the Korean War era, but other than that, there was no one else that had really served. And my parents thought, "Okay, um we're just going to let this one fly. She'll probably uh, grow out of this and uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens as she gets older." Well, I mean, that's, that's um, a, and,
0: it's such a random thing from particularly in 1994. Uh, not just for a 10-year-old, for West Point to resonate with them, which I haven't been, but as I understand, the campus itself, the whole area is gorgeous. Um, so I think that's going to strike a chord with just about anybody. But for a 10-year-old girl in 1994 to be there and go like, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, you know, you were, you were lying outside of the bell curve there.
1: <laughs> I was. Um, I think there were a couple of things that that stood out to me when I was at West Point. And some of them were related to the academy itself. And then some of them were not reasoned you'd want to go to West Point. So I liked the way that the cadets looked in their uniform. Probably not a great reason to want to go to West Point, but I was 10. So I liked it. Um, and then I I honestly, I liked in the museum, they had this setup of a cadet's room and it had you know, this cute little closet and they had their uniforms lined up and they had their gray blanket tucked in. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. I I get my own room and um, I get to, you know, do drill and ceremony and and then I get to serve. This sounds amazing, I wanna do this. So I didn't really understand it until I started to get a little bit older and research it. Um, But my initial reasons were because the campus was beautiful. It looked like big castles. I liked the cadets and how they looked in their uniforms and I liked the idea of having my own room.
0: Hey, I've, I've heard worse reasons for going to any school really. So yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, it, but at 10, so it, it stuck. I mean, you've got all of middle school ahead of you. You got all of high school ahead of you. Lots of other field trips. Like how would life have changed if you had gone to SeaWorld in fifth grade? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I mean, every little kid probably has that moment where they want to be a marine biologist. I think yeah. I I had that moment. Um, but I still at the back of my mind always felt like, oh, well, I, I want to go to West Point. I want to do this. I want to, I want to serve. And then the older I got, um, I got two reactions. Usually I got the, Oh, well, that's not really something you should do. Like, are, are you sure you want to do that? You know, you're a woman. That's, it's probably not the right path for you. Um, or I got the, hey, if that's what you want to go do, then great. And there were some times where people were like, well, you can't, you won't make it. Which, of course, to me is a motivator. Yeah. You tell me I can't do something. I'm going to want to do it even more.
0: Yeah. No, that certainly makes it worse. But it yeah. got, so did it. How did how did it manifest itself in the in the interim, where it was even an option? Were there were you a different student maybe than you had been before that? Or
1: I was always yeah, I was always a really good student. Um, I think i I had two C's in my entire life growing up, and I can recall both of them and the reaction to both of them. And I'm sure my mom could recall my reaction to them as well um but those were the worst grades that i had received and those weren't final grades those were like a you know a semester grade or a quarter grade um and i was always you know in the advanced placement classes and i was in the gifted programs and um i mean that stuff came naturally to me um and i think you know i always found myself wanting to be put up to a challenge. So I would put myself in positions to challenge myself, um, whether it was sports or whether it was, you know, leadership positions or, um, you know, trying to, like, I was a drum major for three years in high school, um, just finding those opportunities to really test my will, um, and make sure that this was the right path for me. Did
0: you do IOTC in high school?
1: We didn't have a program.
0: That's such a bummer. I know. Yeah. I, I hate, you know, like our, our kids are at a, a private school and, you know, you know, my wife works and everything. And it's, Um, I, I don't know if there are some private schools that do ROTC, but we don't. And it's always been, our school's phenomenal. There's nothing to complain about. It's excellent academically. It's excellent spiritually. Um, We, we love it. But I'd love for our kids to... To have that option, even if they don't, you know, even if they're not looking to serve beyond, there's so much value in that experience and seeing it. So you absolutely, you just found the next best uniform you could and went drum major. Like, no, no oh, TC, yeah, exactly. I'll do that.
1: No ROTC, but I I definitely want to be in front and marching and conducting. So that's what I did for three years. I did it as a sophomore. I mean, I would go to drum major camps. Like I was a I was a really big nerd, um, but you know I loved it. I had a lot of fun. Now,
0: I'm I'm trying to do my math right here. So you went to West Point fifth grade, ten years old. So that was what ninety four, ninety five. Yes. All right. So. Into middle school, we're talking 97, 98. Yep. When I was graduating high school, it's cool. I don't feel old. Um, <laughs> and so then that means you're graduating high school still with this desire to go to West Point post 9-11, which is so yeah, totally yeah. different math for your family and for your friends who Correct. might've thought you were going to outgrow this to begin with.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, um, so I applied early admission to West Point and West Point was going to be the only school that I applied to. Um, and my parents being very good parents said, Hey, that's great that you are committed to the Academy, but we want to make sure that just in case you don't get accepted, we, we want you to apply to other schools. So I applied to a few other schools, but I found out very early that I was going to the academy. I mean, I think I found out, um, maybe two weeks after September 11th, I want to say. Um, but I think for me, when September 11th happened, it solidified me going to the academy and solidified my desire to want to serve my country. Yeah. It was that moment, you know, where you realize that this is exactly what I'm supposed to do.
0: Well, and I would imagine particularly having like, you weren't a long Islander, you weren't an upstater, you were a proper New Yorker. Your dad having served as a firefighter, it probably felt, I mean, it felt personal to all of us, mm. uh, but probably doubly. So for you and your family, I would imagine.
1: Absolutely. By my dad had, retired from the fire department by that point but as soon as it happened um he grabbed his old gear that he had with him and he got in the car and he drove down to the city and we didn't see him for uh probably about a week because he was working on ground zero trying to find people um and my aunt I mean my aunt worked a few blocks away Um, we have tons of family, tons of friends. Um, one of my very dear, um, friends, he, we called him like a cousin. He was like an uncle to me. Um, he recently has passed on. Um, but really the reason why he passed so young is because he continued to be a firefighter and his body just never recovered from all of the, internal injuries that he sustained from, you know, taking people out of ground zero. Wow. Um, but yeah, it definitely hit very close to home.
0: So now your, uh, you know, we, we like, um, uh, we like soldiers here at the Solid 7 podcast. We, we, we like just America in general, which is very controversial uh, these days. Stanford would prefer I not even describe it that as uh, we liking America um, that that's problematic there in Stanford now. Um, But uh, so you're not uh, our, our first soldier. We've had uh, a few airmen on, we've had some green berets um, on, Uh, actually one of our, our regulars, uh, good buddy of mine, we we call him Mike Redacted for uh, not to make him sound yeah. super cool. He's just active duty law enforcement still here in Central Florida, uh, and so we just leave his last name out of things. But he uh, uh, did three tours in Iraq and legit combat tours. Uh, he was he was a Cav guy, and so Mike's on all the time and has shared some very very interesting uh, war stories with our Patreon listeners for some bonus content here and there. Um, but I think. I think you are our first academy grad. So the listeners at least on this podcast have never heard a breakdown of that experience. So um what's that look like from especially with with being accepted early entry? One, it's not it's not an easy get. Um how does it line up to with, like odds wise with like getting into like an Ivy or even these days, like UF outranks some of the Ivies, but some of the more difficult schools to get into it's right up there. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is elite in nature and they, I think, I mean, I don't remember what the statistics were, but, um, I want to say that there were 50,000 applicants and in my class, we started with 1100, um, Now, mind you, they're looking holistically. You have to take a physical fitness test, which your gym teacher has to administer to you. You have to get a physical done. You have to make certain scores on your tests. And at the time we were taking the the SAT, not the ACT. Um, You have to do an interview. And then on top of it, you have to get a... um, letter of recommendation from your congressman or senator or the vice president um, that basically endorses you to go to the Academy. So you have to meet all these gates um, for your application to even be um, accepted into the Academy.
0: So let's, let's pause and break down some of those real quick. Uh, One, something we can commiserate on at our age, which is it's garbage that they've reworked the scoring for the standardized tests. Just throw that out there right now. You use are listening. Your scores are lies just so you're aware your scores are lies now. So let's throw that out there. I won't make you share your scores unless you really want to, if you just want to brag on them. Uh, but-
1: honestly, I don't remember. Maybe my mom can put it in the chat. <laughs> what did I get on my SAT mom?
0: <laughs> <laughs> chime, chime in with it there, mom. Well, if it comes through, we'll put it out there. I honestly, like, I hated all that stuff. I did my ACT. I came through with a strong score. I'm like, I'm done. Never even took the SAT. I did the PSATs. That was it. I'm like, any school that won't take this ACT score, I don't I don't need them.
1: I remember it being regional. I remember certain schools out like towards the West Coast wanted the ACT, and then certain schools on the East Coast required the SAT. Um, and then everywhere in the middle was like, we don't care either, or, um, I don't even know what it is anymore. Do they even have an SAT? Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. It's still, it's a big deal. Yeah. And people um, pay all kinds of money to, especially like, uh, our school that we're at, it's a college prep school. And so, I mean, uh, we, we place a lot of kids in a lot of top tier schools and it's, it's serious. So, I mean, they'll take it multiple times. They'll do, uh, the training courses. It's uh, it's a big deal.
1: Yeah. My, um, my uncle, my mom's sister's husband would teach SAT prep on the weekends. So he literally would sit with me at the kitchen table and go through all of these workbooks to try and make sure that I got a good score. So yeah, thanks to uncle Eddie. Uncle Eddie's the real MVP for my SAT score. Way to
0: go, Eddie. Um, so then who, uh, who wrote your recommendation letter?
1: Um, I, I think it was Don Sherwood, I want to say. He was a congressman Um, who wrote mine. Sounds, um, and I, who
0: was the main, isn't that the main character from House of Cards?
1: No, I don't think so. What was
0: his name? What is Frank, that guy's name? think something. Now it's going to bother me. Some, it's
1: yeah, it's definitely Frank.
0: Somebody who's listening live tonight, look that up. I, I don't I'm not Joe Rogan. I don't have a Jamie sitting here looking things up for me. So somebody look that up and drop it in the in the chat for us. But so and that's June. So this is junior year, you're accepted. This is of high school? The,
1: well, I my the first month of my senior year I got accepted. Yep. Yeah. Look my mom my mom's telling me all of the things right now. Yeah. So 1300 and then Don Sherwood. Yeah, I was right. It was Don Sherwood.
0: Look at you. Well done. So then how post-graduation, then how, what, what's the, because like I I had, uh, I was, I had a bunch of older friends in high school, like that I connected with through swim team. So I was a bunch of guys I was close with that graduated uh, the year before me. And we sent off one to just about every branch, right? So I had a buddy go into the Marines, had a buddy go into the Air Force, had a buddy go into the Army. And so, you know, they all went to to basic and then came back and compared stories, uh, you know, which was the, you know the hell and the experience of, uh, you know, camp Lejeune and uh, army basic. And then our buddy that went air force was telling us about how he learned how to fold and ate steak twice a week. Um, so how does that, when, when you're on that track, when you're going to the Academy, where does that fit in and what's that process post post graduation?
1: Yeah. So it's a little bit different. Um, you don't get a, an opportunity to really enjoy your summer break. I graduated. And then a week later, I was showing up to West Point and the process for your cadet, basic training, which they refer to as beast, um, begins with someone standing on a stage and saying, Hey, you have 90 seconds to say goodbye to your family. So, um, we had gone through the prioritization of who was going to say goodbye to me and what order we were saying goodbye. Um, and I said goodbye to my dad last and ran down the stairs and you sort of cross this threshold. And once you cross that threshold, it begins, and you know there's people yelling in your face, telling you what to do, and and the whole idea is you have to learn how to follow. And if you can follow very specific directions, then at at a point when you are more senior at the academy, you will then be able to lead others. Um, so you go through this basic training, but. Your cadre, so the people that are leading you, are all upperclassmen. So that is their summer training event that they get certified um, on how to be leaders. So they are your squad leaders or platoon sergeants or your company commanders. And depending on which year they are at the academy, junior or senior, depends on what position they get to fill. Um, So it's kind of this, this opportunity for, you know, new cadets because you're, you're brand new. So you're not considered a cadet until you graduate beast. You're considered a new cadet. Um, So new cadets get to, I'm
0: I'm sure you're officially called a new cadet. What did Uh the cadre call you?
1: It's literally new cadet. They really, so like,
0: they don't cat, have some like fun was, derogatory term. They're not running around calling you nuggets or something.
1: No, it was new cadet Chirichella. That's so so everywhere
0: you go, I, like I know, but like through, who was president when it was, well, Bush would have been president when you were going through, Bush. but it was mm-hmm. still post that Clinton softening of things. I bet there was a fun name before president Clinton. That's I'm just somebody who's listening, who went through West point Before President Clinton, I want to know if there was a more interesting name for new cadets. Hit us up.
1: Continue. I I, I mean, you always hear like, cadidiet, you know, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I do know that my last name was worked into many different nicknames throughout basic training, some of which stuck, um, some of which I will politely not inform anyone of what they are. But yes, having a long last name that's difficult to pronounce and spell um, definitely makes you a target. Yeah,
0: all I heard just now is that we need to do a Patreon bonus episode. That's the the subscribers, the (laughs) subscribers need to get the nicknames.
1: There you go. Yes, okay. Okay we'll do that. Um, but yeah, so that's basic training, your cadet basic training, your first summer. And then you start your freshman year, which is called your plebe year, um, where you are not authorized to do basically anything. Um, you can't talk when you leave your room, you have to walk with your hands cupped, you salute the upperclassmen, um, you, Uh, call minutes before meals. So you'll stand outside uh, everyone's room and you'll call how many minutes there are until breakfast or lunch or dinner. Um, You deliver laundry. Um, It's all rites of passage, right? They're all things that have been done traditionally. Um, And then as you progress in, in your time at the academy, you get more and more responsibilities. So your sophomore year, you're a yuck or a yearling. Um, and you are a team leader. So you'll get two of the freshmen, two of the plebes that you're in charge of, and you help with their development and ensure that they have everything that they need to be successful. Um, and then as you continue, you get more responsibility and you get more opportunities. So you can travel, um, over spring break. Um, I got to travel to Spain cause I was a Spanish and French major. Um, Traveled to Spain for spring break my junior year, um, junior year, no, sorry, sophomore year. And then I spent a semester abroad the first semester of my junior year um, in Spain. So um, there are a ton of opportunities that you get as you continue to progress. Um, And then you get your car, which is very important after spring break, uh, your junior year. um and you can wear civilian clothes on the weekends i mean a lot of uh, a lot of different things start to progress now mind you a lot has changed since i've been there we're talking i mean this is A long time ago. Um, But yeah, it's probably different for the rules and what they can and can't do. But at the end of the day, there is a tradition and there are gates that you have to go through. And the intent behind each one of the things that you do is it's developing you to understand leadership. So you have to follow before you can lead. And then once you are a leader, you start with a small group of people to lead. And then that continues to grow as you progress.
0: Uh, How does beast compare like that? Is that a direct replacement for like enlisted basic training or is it just more specific to I'm going to be a cadet?
1: I, yeah, I think it's both, but they go over everything that you go over in basic training. The only, I, I won't say the only, but there are additional things that you learn while you go through beast and that's, you know, you get this book, and it's probably 250 pages, 300 pages of knowledge. And there are random facts in there that you have to memorize and you get quizzed on by the upperclassmen. Um, like things that stick in your brain. Now I can remember certain things that, um, are random, but it, it you start to learn them and they give you sort of the history behind the academy. So you get the mix of what is at basic training. So you learn how to shoot, you learn how to move, you learn how to communicate, you learn how to do PT, you take all your physical fitness tests, um, you learn about the army and what ranks are what and when to salute and when not to salute, which funny story, I remember I passed by two officers, one on each side of me and I saluted with both hands, that's
0: um, amazing.
1: <laughs> but that's, I mean, you learn that yeah. in basic training, you learn that in beast. Um, but then on top of that, they're teaching you about West Point and how to be an officer and, you know, helping to groom you to be an effective platoon leader.
0: How, how does it differ there as far as, you know, like you mentioned being, what did you say Spanish and French major? Correct. So like, how does it play out as far as like a, a majoring, like you would just have at a traditional college or university versus what your MOS is going to be like, how do those things go together or does it not matter? When does your MOS kind of get determined? How much toys yeah. do you get? All that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So... You determine your major, you declare your major before you put in for your branch. So um, I, and West Point is historically an engineering school. So you graduate with a bachelor's of science degree no matter what you study. Um, So even though I was a double language major, I had what they considered a track, um, which would be an equivalent to a minor in um, mechanical engineering. Um, and I originally went to West Point to be a civil engineer, but when I got there, I realized that I really liked languages and wanted to do that instead, so I did Spanish and French. Um,
0: now, at that point I got to pause you. Why in the world Spanish and French? I guess at, yeah. this, at this point, you know you're getting done. You're going to war in, in one way, shape, or form, right? Um, and so at that point, so I, I, you know, you kind of have a choice while you're going through there how do you want to wage war, right? And so why not, uh, you know, like Farsi? Like what was it about Spanish and French that attracted you?
1: Um, They had the cool trips and <laughs> they, they also had, we had the opportunity to escort a group of Mexican army officers around um, DC and New York City and West Point. And I picked up, um, my high school Spanish had served me very well and I thought, well, this is a lot of fun. And the, um, chief of the Spanish department came up to me and said, Hey, have you thought about, you know, majoring in Spanish? And I said, I didn't even know I could do that. Um, so I said, yeah, that'd be great. And that's, that's pretty much how it happened. They had really cool trips and the chief of the language department came over and said, Hey, do you want to do this? And I said, sure.
0: Well and and now if if Spain ever gets too big for their britches and decides <laughs> to pop off you're going to be right in the thick of it. So, yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean it's funny though. I've I've used my Spanish in my career um often because a lot of our population speaks Spanish, yeah. so you can talk to them or Um, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, um, my husband was doing a jump and it was an international jump and the Spanish, um, the Spanish paratroopers were in town and I got to meet them and talk to them and they were just so glad that someone spoke Spanish. I'm I'm glad you threw in
0: paratrooper because until then it sounded like your husband was just beating people up in alley. (laughs) I'm glad we we added some context. We cleared that up.
1: We added some context. Yes.
0: (laughs) So uh, those are, so, you know, when you're for cadets. then how does, how does MOS, how does your career path within the, the branch that you're headed to, how does that get determined and play out?
1: Yeah. So you declare your branch, um, your junior year, and there's this, um, there's this whole thing leading up to it, they call it branch week, where you get to walk around and talk through all of the, the different branches and understand sort of what they do and, you know, what a platoon leader does or what a second lieutenant could be expected to do when you commission. Um, and it's based upon your your three pillars um, of your grades that create an OML. So your military grade, your physical grade, and your academic GPA. Um, and depending on where you sit. I have to stop you again
0: because yeah. I got to pick out these fun little things or I'll forget them. Um, you mentioned the the book, just the history of West Point that you had to mm-hmm. memorize facts from. Um, clearly, uh, Silent Summit podcast listeners will recognize that this is basically just the book Hogwarts: A History.
1: <laughs> and yes. based
0: on the description of you as a student 100 you were Hermione walking around having the whole book memorized then when it's time to graduate you guys are basing things not on your OWLs but your OMLs I think we all see right through this I think we all know <laughs> what's going on here
1: so West Point is really Hogwarts it's and you Hogwarts. guys have figured it out yeah
0: cracked the code
1: <laughs> yes Um, So your OML, your order of merit list, and um, based on that determines which branch that you got. Um, I branched military police out of the academy. Um, I really liked the idea of being an MP, um, military police officer, um, because at the time it was referred to as the women's infantry. So I was really excited for the opportunity to lead a platoon and to have the opportunity to go to the field and deploy. And, you know, I graduated at the height of the global war on terror. I mean, it was 2006. We were deploying people all the time. Um, so I really wanted to to lead soldiers, and I wanted to have the opportunity to to test my will and fortitude and leadership skills. And um, for me, MPS was kind of the the best fit.
0: And so, graduate. Where do you? Where how's that? What where, where does that take yeah. you post graduation? Then,
1: so you choose a location your senior year. They call it. Um, your post, your post, you choose your post. Yeah. So you choose your post. I chose Fort hood, Texas for my first post. Um, so you graduate from West point. Um, you're given anywhere from 30 to 60 days off. And then you, at at the time that I graduated, it's changed now. Um, we had a basic officer leadership course where you went to Fort Benning and all of the branches came together And all of the second lieutenants learned skills that may have atrophied while they were a cadet or um, just they, they didn't understand. So all of the ROTC cadets and the West Point cadets get together and we learned how to do land nav and we learned how to lead PT and we learned how to ruck march and all of that for about six weeks. And then once you were done with that, you went to what was called the officer basic course. And that was at Fort Leonard Wood. And that was MP, so military police. Um, so I went to that course. And then after you're done with that, they teach you how to be a platoon leader, how to lead uh, your soldiers, understanding military police doctrine. Um, and then you go to wherever your duty station is, which at that point for me was um, Fort Hood, Texas.
0: No. Um, I've never and, been out there, yeah. but as I understand it, Hood is just massive.
1: It, it is in... In land, um, and at one point, by personnel count, it was the biggest in the army, but Fort Bragg has now superseded that. Uh
0: Are they both getting name changes?
1: Uh, yes, they are. I don't know what Hood is going to be, but I know that Bragg is going to be Liberty.
0: Right. Kind of like the Sears Tower isn't the Sears Tower anymore, but we're all going to still call it the Sears Tower. Correct. Yeah. Liberty. I, until that offends somebody, then we'll change it again. Um, you don't have to chime in on that. That's my, my thoughts there for the uh, the listening world. Um, so you get out to hood and you're a cop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point in my career, um, we had the joke that of the M and the P in military police, we were, more on the M than we were on the P. So we were more concerned about the military aspect versus the policing aspect. Um, We've since shifted. So the MP Corps is now more of a a hybrid. So um, they do law enforcement. But at the time when I was a platoon leader, we didn't do a lot of law enforcement duties. Um, We did a lot of convoy operations, and that's what we trained to do. Um, so I worked as a platoon leader and then I was fleeted up to be the brigade provost marshal, um, deployed to Iraq in 2008, um, as the brigade provost marshal, um, did a lot of detainee operations. So we moved detainees from Baghdad down to our location, which was in Talil. Um, and it was more of the trying to allow the Iraqis to police their own. So they were standing up their own detention facilities um, and we were basically doing the handoff for them. So I helped with that. Um, And then I came back from that deployment, got moved into a new position as a logistics officer for an MP battalion, um, because they needed someone to be the, the S4, we call it. So a logistics officer for the battalion Um, And then I, um, this is where my unique career takes its first turn, Um, and then I went to civil affairs selection um, at Fort Bragg, and I was accepted for civil affairs, um, and I went through the pipeline, and at the time the pipeline began with language training. Um, I studied Urdu, uh, which is spoken in Pakistan. Um, tested out of language um, and found out that I was pregnant while I was in language training, which was a huge surprise. Um, Wasn't expecting it, uh, greatest blessing ever. Uh, However, at the time was a huge surprise for me. So um, after language, I elected to come out of the civil affairs program and go back to military police um, where I was intent on getting out of the army. Um, so I remember I showed up to the 16th MP brigade and I met with the, um, current brigade S3 at the time. And I said, Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here, um, but I'm going to drop my packet to get out of the army. Um, I, you know, I, I just had a kid and I just can't do it. I can't make it work. And he was like, well why don't we see about that? Let's, you know, figure it out. Let's see if you can get your feet under you and manage, you know, being a mom. And at the time I was married to my first husband and he was deployed. So we were trying to make that work. Um, and I just, I didn't know that I could do it all. Um, and it took me being back with really good leaders that believed in me, um and they put me in command and as a company commander of an mp company um that's what really sealed my love for the army again um because I got the opportunity to really lead soldiers and uh company command for me was one of those opportunities where you can actually see how your leadership impacts others yeah. um and I loved it had a great time um I didn't know what I wanted to do post company command and I elected to cross branch at that point into military intelligence. So I went through even more training um, and then specialized in human intelligence training. Um, So spent some time uh, doing that up in DC and then returned back to Fort Bragg um, where I worked for uh, US Army Special Operations Command as a human team leader, uh, in Iraq and Syria. And then, um, after that trip, uh, came back and then, uh, went to the golden Knights, uh, where I was the battalion executive officer. Whoa, for whoa, the-
0: whoa, whoa. Listen, <laughs> listen, Colonel, you're blowing through so much good stuff here. How dare you? First of all, okay. <clears throat> So you learned a language. I'm pretty sure you made the name up of just now.
1: It's real. Google yeah. it. Urdu. U R D U.
0: Which I mean, hey, Pakistan, just our friends in peace, right? Like, why would you need <laughs> to speak Urdu? Um, but so I assume that that laid some of the groundwork. Like that certainly had to have helped this tra- this cross branch transition into intelligence. Uh, having that. Checked off on on the resume there, and so then you, you go and do that training in DC. Now I know there's uh, we had a, a family friend um, that's in intelligence in the army. Can't remember what his rank is now. Adam, if you're listening, holler at me, buddy. Um, but uh, he went and did. I know there's a school there that's like you have to have clearance to go to. So it's basically like uh, the military's version of almost like an MBA that he did. But you had to have security clearance even to attend. Was it something like that, or was it more specialized, less less like formal educationy, or yeah, is it, it like going to the was, farm for the CIA? Like what 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 are, you, what are you doing here?
1: Um. Yeah, maybe that's a Patreon conversation. I don't know. Um. But the the um. The, it's not a. I didn't de- get a degree out
0: right. of it. If that answers your question. But so when like um, we've we've had um, Emily McCarthy on before from Go Rug, who Emily was a, a CIA case officer, um, which is uh, I, I harassed her on the podcast. I'm like, that's a really nice way to say I was a spy, new spy. Um, but so you're working human intelligence, which. Uh, personal layman's opinion here that I've voiced many times on the thoughts of podcast. We uh, are too in these days. I think we continue to be too weak in it because we like our drones and our satellites and our data collection and all that way too much. But um, are you analyzing human intelligence or are you obtaining human intelligence?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I think it depends on what you're doing and, and how you're doing it. But I think if you look at all of the intelligence from a, let's look at conventional army perspective, I think human intelligence is the easiest to obtain if you think about it, right? Because I I don't need special equipment. I don't need um i don't need to be anywhere i literally can have a conversation and that is part of human intelligence whereas you think of signals intelligence or geospatial or um anything like that you need equipment or you need some form of technology to assist you in it yeah. um so i think I, I think it's the most underrated um but because you're dealing with a human there's also an aspect of it that is, is not infallible. So you you have some aspects that are maybe not credible. Um, So I think that's where we kind of get a little reticent to, to just utilize human intelligence for things.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's not any easier when you're operating in areas where you're basically dealing with the Hatfields and the McCoys to like the nth power. Um, so a lot of people look into <laughs> let big green solve their uh their family squabbles,
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah, absolutely. and you know, I think it's the oldest uh oldest job that's that's out there, right? like spies have been around forever. They're spies in the Bible. so the idea of being able to use people to give you information to drive a certain aspect of things is is used everywhere I mean it's used in politics yeah. um but it can also steer you in the wrong direction so
0: well and um, I've got a soft spot for the lineage of military intelligence just in the sense that you get to trace your roots all the way back to Washington correct yeah If uh, listeners, if you haven't ever read up, uh, well, one, if you want to get the Hollywood version, you look up and watch the show turn, which while not completely historically accurate, still a good watch and it will wet your appetite. Uh, And then you really get into and study up on Washington's spy rings and his use of spies. Mm -hmm. And it was legit. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So you deployed doing that, you said, to Iraq and Syria? Correct. What's the time frame for those deployments?
1: Uh, Twenty sixteen.
0: Dang, that's not long ago. That's not long ago at all. And so, um, when one's doing these type of things in those type of environments, like who, who, who do you, who do you go with? Who do you go and do these things with?
1: I was with uh, Soft, so I was with a team of people, and we went and we met with other people. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm going to try my darndest to get you in trouble and not get you in trouble at the same time. So military loves their acronyms. Uh, so SOF is, uh, the acronym for special operations forces. Yeah. Now that, uh, we, we were stretched the limits of, uh, my civilian non-prior service lexicon here. Right. I, I get that, uh, you know, those of us outside the military, we use special operations and special forces interchangeably. And of course they are not, um, special forces. Correct me. If I get anything wrong here is very specifically green berets, correct. uh, and special operations kind of covers the blanket of, of everybody else. Correct. Um, regardless, I mean, so that would, you know, uh, w- well, who knows what anybody's called these days, obviously seals, you know, go to any bookstore. Um, but, uh, uh, Delta, which doesn't exist, right? Except for all the movies and the books and, and uh, you know, power service guys and uh, MARSOC, I guess, Would at this point, if they're still MARSOC, they like to change their name around sometimes too. They were the redheaded stepchild over in the Marines of special operations for a mm-hmm. while. Um, combat controllers and pararescue jumpers, that's all those. So when you say soft, is that, is that all-encompassing?
1: It is all-encompassing.
0: And then met up with some other people. So, well, can we say other people who were maybe extra good at softy type things?
1: I mean, I'm sure you <laughs> could use deductive reasoning. <laughs> uh,
0: I love it. It was funny. I, we're uh, big fans here at the podcast, which is say me. I say we all the time. It's the collective we, me, the listeners, uh, our our audio engineer, um, are big fans of of Jack Carr. Um, yeah, you know, We were actually just talking about him on the last podcast because uh, that guest was catching up on his books. Uh, but he had Mark Owen on recently. Um, they'd had a long-term friendship. And, of course, uh, Mark Owen, one of the uh, SEAL Team 6, which isn't SEAL Team 6, it's DevGrew, which isn't DevGrew anymore. And the new name hasn't gotten around to everybody yet, but it will. But it was uh, – he, so he was on the the Bin uh, the Bin Laden raid in, wait for it, Pakistan, where we now know that they speak Ur- – Urdu. Urdu. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting that he was hanging out in Pakistan near a military academy. Anyways. um, And so but it's funny because we all know, Mark. So listeners, if you think back, like when the raid first became public and there was somebody, an operator from the raid that was out there doing interviews or talking about it, um, it was Mark Owen. He was the guy on CBS. uh, And then Fox News, actually, of all agencies, outed his real name, which is not Mark Owen. So we all know it. But it was just so funny because Jack's got him on the podcast. They're close. They did like a four-part podcast. Fascinating, great, great to listen to. Um, and so he very like fastidiously referred to him as Mark Owen, which I thought was kind of cool, even though we yeah. all know whatever. Uh, but then also he would just always refer uh, to DevGrew as. His former command, which is funny because I've i listened to things with guys who were Dev Grew operators that will just say Dev Grew or SEAL Team Six or whatever. So I, it just cracked me up that I'm like, dude, Jack, uh, come on the podcast, Jack, and talk to me about <laughs> it. But like we all know when you say former command, we all know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. But you know, so maybe those kinds of people, maybe not, whatever. The listeners, you get to fill in your own. She wants to be coy. You can decide uh, who it was. <laughs> that she she was so well how about this can you give us right cuz outside of service right so much of what gets done um you know hollywood fills in the blanks for us to varying degrees of accuracy so if if the listeners are like what were you up to marissa what's a good television or movie reference to be like i kind of like this kind of like this <laughs>
1: Um, I don't
0: know. Oh. Uh. Okay. Let me, uh, let me, I'll, I'll see if I can give you one that's vague enough that you can be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Kind of. I got turned on to, because of that interview with Mark Owen, with Jack Carr, because of those podcasts, I got turned on to CBS's show seal team, which I had sworn <laughs> off of. Cause I'm like, there's no way CBS is doing this any justice right? Like from the network that gives you queen Latifah as the enforcer. I don't think I need to see your take on tier one operators. Well, then I'm listening to this interview and Mark Owen is an EP. He's an executive producer on it. He's heavily involved in the whole thing. He's making sure that they've got uh prior service guys and gals like in the writer's room on the, cr- on the crew, whatever. And so like, is this really the operational tempo and the way they travel and the, and the way packages and stuff get worked up for them? No, maybe not, but kind of, it, it led some credence to it. And it turns out, it's a fun watch and again you can withhold comment if you want to it is the least woke show on all of television it's just a shoot'em up uh, with a little bit of you know daytime soap opera drama worked in every now and then and it's fantastic fantastic and I highly enjoy it but so one of the characters on that team is basically like their I don't know what I don't know what they call her role but she like does the intelligence for them and works that stuff with the team and works with the works with the team. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's pretty similar to what I would do. So supporting the soft forces to help them understand where they need to go and why they need to go there.
0: See, that wasn't that, that wasn't that hard. No, (laughs) not at all. That is freaking awesome. Is what it yeah, is.
1: It, yeah, it was really neat. It, I, what I loved about it was the, the ability to see the capability of the Syrian defense forces. Um, that was really interesting to me yeah. because they treated their women equally, and it was fifty percent of their population, which is not the army. So to to see that was really cool. Yeah.
0: Uh, Israeli military is really real similar right
1: mm-hmm. yeah and they're conscripted yeah. so they all have to serve which is not like us we don't conscript our females only our males yeah
0: well that's it's getting muddy isn't it um <laughs>
1: We're going, yes. Real tough, yes, we're going down. Some, we're going down and robbing some
0: real tough choices for some politicians to make here before too long. But uh, we digress. So, um, how long? How long were you doing that? You did the two deployments.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was at the at US Army Special Operations Command for three years.
0: And then.
1: And then I went. To the U.S. Army Parachute Team, the Golden Knights.
0: <laughs> that does not seem like an obvious leap, pun intended. Uh,
1: yes, that was <laughs> a good one. It wasn't. Um, I, at the time, was looking for a job on Fort Bragg for stability for my son, um, and that was offered to me to in an interview, and I showed up at the headquarters building for an interview, and the... Uh, outgoing Battalion XO said, yeah, you're hired. (laughs) And um, I, yeah, I started that position in, it was really the beginning of 2019. um, And I was there until 2021.
0: Um, How long have the Golden Knights been a thing?
1: Um, It's 50, 60 years, 62 years. So a
0: decent run. And that Mm -hmm. whole time, they've always, at any given time, I would imagine, had an XO, which is another one of those military abbreviations for executive officer. Yeah.
1: So when they first started, they weren't, um, considered a battalion per se. Um, I don't think they came up with the battalion construct until the eighties, um, maybe the seventies. And if anyone is listening, that's an alumni. I apologize if I'm butchering the history, um, but we, um, actually I was the first female executive officer for the battalion. Yeah, so they had whole, not had. had a
0: whole setup coming for that. This is, oh. see, when you fly by your seat of your pants on podcasts, but yeah, for all that time there was that there were XOs, there mm-hmm. was never a female XO until you.
1: Correct. Yes. That is, that is a fact.
0: And this this is a big deal, and I know this is a big deal, because if one Googles you, um, you're in, like, Army, like, Instagram promos.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Well, the so the U.S. Army Parachute Team falls under the U.S. Army Recruiting Command, and the intent behind that is the team goes out and jumps at these big events like air shows, um, school events, college events, and conducts these big demonstrations. And then afterward partners with recruiters to talk to, you know, our population of younger individuals to try and get them to join the army. Um, because right now we definitely have a recruiting crisis where, we don't have as many people joining the military as we did years past. Yeah. Um, so trying to get the word out as to what options there are to join the military and what benefits you get and and what it could do for you and your family is really important. So, um, yeah, that, that was one of the, the roles that I had to play as the battalion executive officer is to help message that. Get that message out
0: to the population. Yeah. Well, I, like what, else, what all does that entail? Cause you're not, you're not one of them, you know, at least on a regular basis, I would assume you're not jumping out of a plane and you know, doing de loops.
1: No, they did teach me how to skydive. So I did learn. I was a paratrooper before, so I did static line airborne operations, but I'd never done free fall. I'd never done um, anything higher than, you know, 1,500 feet. Um, So they did teach me how to skydive because it's important to understand what they do. So by learning what they do, you can understand how best to support them. Um, But what I would do from a recruiting standpoint is when we would go to, um, say, like tandem events. So a tandem jump is when uh, you say, for instance, want to go skydiving, but you don't want to do it by yourself you get strapped to the front of a skydiver and they skydive with you in tandem. It's called tandeming. So we would do these tandem camps where we would go and uh, partner with the local community um, and, you know, take, certain people on tandem skydives and they were mainly connected to educators. Um, And while we were waiting or at the end of the day, we'd each share our army story. So I would get up there and tell them my story of, you know, my 10 year old self going to West Point and then joining the army and all of the things that I've done and, um, you know, breaking the glass ceilings of certain aspects of my career and being able to continue to serve even after, Um, we have allowed women into combat arms, uh, which we hadn't before. So, um, yeah, that's where I sort of fit in. In addition to, you know, performing my daily duties as a battalion executive officer, um, I then would, you know, share my army story to help people understand that they can message something to maybe a student that's interested in a career path like mine.
0: Well, and so you were doing that, you said three years, so you were doing this up until just recently.
1: Yeah. So I was there for three years. And then the last two years, um, I've been, I was a battalion operations officer for an MI battalion. And now I am the brigade operations officer for an MI brigade on Fort Bragg.
0: MI being
1: military intelligence?
0: See, he's still, he's still a spy. Look at you. Um, so, like what what were some aspects to being with the Golden Knights that people wouldn't assume like uh, coolest thing worst thing Yeah you know, like worst thing that time that dude's shoot didn't open that was bad that was awesome. Yeah I
1: mean we we did have um we had we lost a soldier while I was there he was skydiving on a weekend um Alex um he was skydiving where he learned to skydive years and years ago and something happened with the airplane on takeoff and it wound up crashing. Um, That was definitely hard. Um, And that was probably one of the worst. We had a really bad accident that occurred, but both of, well, all three of the soldiers that were injured in that recovered um, and were able to walk again, which is miraculous. So that was, um, that was, not the worst, but a very difficult time frame for the team. Um, I would say for me personally, the best was getting to go to army Navy and be on the 50 yard line and watch the team jump in. Yeah. Um, just, just being a West point grad and, and being able to participate in that was really cool. Um, and I got to go to Australia. So the competition team made it to um, what we would consider the skydiving Olympics which was held in Gold Coast, Australia. And I got to be the OIC and take them over for that, the officer in charge. So it was a lot of fun. I
0: I assume like, um, you know, with like the flying demo teams, like the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels, I assume you guys occasionally jumped uh, famous and or important people with the teams. We did. So uh, coolest person you had come through?
1: Um. So I, and I think we had talked about this previously, but I really enjoyed meeting Dakota Meyer. Um, We had an awesome time with him. He actually has his own personal skydiving license. So he didn't come to do a tandem with us. He literally came to jump with us and then spent the afternoon uh, doing some professional development with our non-commissioned officers and officers on the team. That's awesome. Um, So that was really cool. Um, I'm trying to think of, there was, there were quite a few that we had met. Um, I'll think of it as we go on. Right. If I think of any more, I'll let well, you Of know. course,
0: the, the other side of that coin is like, okay, who did you guys want to push out without a shoot? Who, who was that?
1: <laughs> I would never say yeah. that about anyone. No, I know,
0: but even uh, if you ask it just right, it's like, uh, was it Diane Sawyer that would get everybody to cry? If you ask it just right, sometimes people just reflex answer. And they'll they'll be like, "Oh, uh, Gordon Ramsay, he was awful." I don't <laughs> actually, I, no. I would think a bunch of uh, you know army soldiers would actually appreciate Gordon and his lexicon.
1: <laughs> yeah, we and we had Robert Irvine. It's not necessarily Gordon Ramsay, but yeah, he jumped with us. I think. I mean, we had President Bush. Um, we've had. I mean, there's so many people, so many people have jumped with us oh, in OG president yeah. Bush. Uh-huh. Correct.
0: Cause it, it, he was an awesome dude. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. had forget being president. And I mean, I get people have all their issues with the Bush dynasty and I'm sure they're in skull and bones and whatever that stupid movie was and all that good stuff. But like his, his work before he was president and his pilot career, And then, I mean, it might have been with Golden Knights. Like he was skydiving not long before he died. He went and jumped. Correct.
1: Yeah. He came back and jumped again with us. Um, In fact, he really loved the parachute team. He wrote into his you know, plan for his funeral to include the golden Knights in the funeral procession to like March in the funeral. So um, yeah, just one of those historical tidbits of the golden Knights.
0: So if we can rabbit trail, which is a solid seven podcast uh, pastime skydiving, it's never seemed like the juice is worth the squeeze to me. I'm like best case scenario. I safely fall through the sky for a little while worst case scenario <laughs> i come to an abrupt stop at the end of the fall so what are the what are the odds is it safer than like driving to work
1: yeah it's safer than driving to work and what a lot of people don't understand is there's so much that goes into skydiving with you know your main parachute, and then you have a reserve parachute, and that reserve parachute can only be packed by individuals who are certified to pack it. Um, You've got a device that can send your reserve parachute. So say you jump out and you pass out. At a particular altitude, there's a device that's on your parachute that'll send your parachute to deploy um, because you've reached an altitude too quickly. So it'll send it up. Um, so there's, there's control mechanisms on it. Um, I mean, tons of skydivers will push the envelope, right? Because they want to do cool stuff and they want to try different things. Um, but you're more likely, I would say to get hit by a car crossing the street than you are to get injured skydiving, like die skydiving,
0: I should say. Interesting. Okay. I've always thought if I did it, I'd go do like South Florida or someplace real marshy. Someplace with a soft landing, <laughs> just in case. it be my luck.
1: yeah, but you gotta be you gotta be careful with soft landings because then you don't know how deep it is, and you could break a leg because one foot could sink and the other couldn't. You know, yeah. I just
0: and my luck would be it'd be marsh to one side, marsh to the other side, sidewalk in the middle. I'd be the sidewalk for sure, one hundred percent. I'd I'd hit the like nature boardwalk going through it. <laughs> because that's how that goes. Did you talk about guys pushing the envelope? Because I feel like he was kind of out and doing his crazy stuff at the time that you were there. Did Andy Stumpf come through and do anything with you guys while you were there? Have you heard of Andy?
1: He yes, I've heard of him. I think they were in the process of getting him over to do a jump with us when I was getting ready to leave.
0: I think he's kind of gotten over his flying squirrel suit stuff, but he was. He said I want to say some distance records in one of those flying suits among other things.
1: Yeah, in the wing suit. Yeah.
0: Those guys.
1: Yeah. 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 I we um I got to know Jeff Provenzano, Jeffro. Um he's on the Red Bull Air Force and I mean that dude can land on a boat in the middle of two gigantic big pillars and make it look like I mean nothing. So, they're just talented and yeah. they just have that desire to do that all the time.
0: Yeah, a hard pass. I'll do, maybe, <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll, I'll find some place to go do a static line jump and we'll call it a day. That's
1: <laughs> yeah, but static line, you hit the ground so much harder. At least, like with a free fall parachute for skydiving, you can control a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah. It depends
0: now, like you talked about going and doing the army Navy game. Did you, in my head, I just want this to be a thing that occasionally happens. Do you guys ever like teams out for, for dinner and a drink and here comes the leapfrogs and it's, it's on just a brawl between
1: no, no, they were all, I mean, so we do, we, um, every year the golden Knights go down to Homestead air reserve base outside of Miami for about two and a half months and it's training and they do joint training while they're down there. So the leapfrogs come out. We had, um, the red devils from England. They come over. Um, we have some of the Academy teams will come down and train with us. So, um, yeah, there's there's not a lot of animosity. There's probably some like crap talking back and forth, yeah. but no, the there's course. never any like, yeah, there's nothing like that.
0: We have, uh, and if you or any listeners haven't ever been, highly recommend it um, in uh, Fort Pierce down here in Florida is the Navy SEAL UDT Museum uh, oh, at cool. the original location where they first started their training uh, in Fort Pierce. Um And it kind of, you know, it was like the Raiders fed into it, but it's, it's world-class. It's amazing. The, um, the lifeboat that captain Phillips was on complete with the bullet holes from the snipers. They have that there. They had, they have the mock-up of bin Laden's compound from Abbottabad that CBS did for their interview with Mark Owen. Uh, CBS donated it, and they've got that there. They've got just all this really cool, legit memorabilia. They go, you go outside, and they have one of the Navy's big Mark V jet boats um, that sits outside. They have a small version of the SEALs O course um, and all that stuff. But they do uh, a muster every year around it's one of the, just their big community event and drives awareness, and they do some fundraising stuff with it uh, every November around Veterans Day. When I first found out about it, and we first started going one one of the teams would come out and do demos. I like the first year I went, I want to say it was either team two or team three was there and did a full live demo. And then not every year, but some years the leap frogs would come out and jump. And then the freaking sequester hit and there hasn't, they haven't had a legit team. They do everything with guys that are either doing it on their own time or have separated. Now and they still put together a good demo they still have some guys jump, but it's just not the same. Thanks sequester.
1: Um, yeah. And I, I mean, that affected all of the demonstration teams and it, you know, reduced the number of demos that they were authorized to do, or, you know, you have to tie it to recruiting and it has to serve a purpose. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely hindered the ability of all of the demonstration teams for sure.
0: Yeah. And while we're talking demo teams broadly, I'm going to go ahead and throw out a controversial hot take and it is, I like the Thunderbirds show more than the blue angels and I'm not sorry about it.
1: I, I would have to agree with you.
0: It's so good. I mean the blue angels, <laughs> it's, it's ama- Like it's unbelievable what they do. Uh, and that's the team I've seen more recently. And they just started, I saw them their first show with the super Hornets Um, down here. And so it wasn't quite as aggressive as some of their shows are being that it was their first show. Um, And I've actually got an ex brother-in-law who flew uh, Hornets. And he was telling me he, he tried out for the blue angels because, because who wouldn't. And the way he was explaining it, any Somebody correct me if I've got this wrong. I think I'm outside both our wheelhouses now, but the the sticks in their jets are actually weighted. They're pulling, a, like they're working against them at all times. Part of why, like, if they do blackout or something goes wrong, you'll see them just kind of like. Oh, nose.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah. That's first heard for me. I know me. a lot
0: of that stuff's fly by wire now, so I don't, I might be mistranslating or misremembering what he told me, but that was such an odd thing that I feel like it stuck correctly. But all that to say, I think the Thunderbird show is better. They do for the long there was an air show down here for the longest time, Sun and Fun, that Emery Riddle. Sun and first, Fun. Yes. Um, yeah. Is it no? Wait, Sun and Fun is a big one. But there's another one, I'm forgetting the name. It was something like Wings Over Waves. Emery Riddle. Oh, okay. Emery Riddle put it on. Okay. But it was based in Daytona Beach. And so Center Show was a boat like right off the coast like right in front of the Hilton in Daytona Beach Florida. And so like when their show would start, they would come in, in formation over top of the Hilton in Daytona out over the water and then they'd split and do their thing. So at the time, I was working for an organization. We did a big event at the Hilton every year. And so we were doing our follow-up meeting the first year we were there with their staff um you know, just debriefing what worked, what didn't work, what did we need for next year? What did they need from us? And they're like, yeah, come down. We'll do lunch at the restaurant here. And all of a sudden you just hear this roar and it's like rehearsal day for the air show. So every year after that, we always schedule that follow-up meeting for rehearsal day because nobody's at the beach. It, nobody's there for the air show. And we could just sit out on the deck at the Hilton and watch the Thunderbirds run through yeah. their whole show. And it was fantastic. And when you've been to the shows that much, you learn when the sneak pass is. And instead of being scared witless, you get to laugh at everybody else Mm -hmm. freaking out because both teams do a part where you're watching almost all the jets, but one is off barreling towards you at a very high rate of speed. And uh, normally they come in from behind Mm -hmm. you and everybody ducks or screams and a good time is had by all. I, I can't imagine that the uh, Golden Knights create too many scream moment moments, at least intentionally.
1: I I think there's a lot of applause that comes with them. Yeah. And I think the, I don't know if we necessarily get screams. If we're getting screams, I think something's gone terribly awry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we do get a lot of applause. And then afterward, we'll get a lot of the, oh my goodness, and that was amazing. And people want to come up and take pictures and stuff like that.
0: What's the, What's the competition side of that look like? Like, what are you you competing in?
1: Yeah, well, so there's eight-way competition. There's four-way competition, um, which means that these formations of eight people or four people are making formations of their bodies in the sky. And someone is flying above them taking video of them make these formations. And in the competition, they're given a specific, um, you know, code of what they have to do. So the formation number or letter that's associated with it. Each person in each team gets it and then they go out and execute it. And whoever can do it the cleanest and the fastest with the number of most complete gets the highest score. Um, and really when the golden Knights were founded, competition was a big deal because they were competing against the Russians. And that is traditionally a really, you know, big, part of the organization is continuing to represent as being the best skydivers in the world. Um, and especially military skydivers. So yeah. Um, right now I think they have an eight way team, um, maybe a four way team. Um, but yeah, that, that's the competition aspect of it.
0: Can I, can I just say as a a child of the eighties, um, Listen, as we're recording this, it's still pre-Christmas. Let there be peace on earth. I'm down. War is hell. I'm not looking for conflict. However, it is just slightly refreshing. It's just familiar to have Russia be the bad guys again. (laughs) Movies movies were better. Politics was easier to understand. I think the real threat is China. But still, I like to think, no, screw you, Vlad. You're the bad guy.
1: Uh, yes, he's still the bad guy
0: for a little bit longer. I, I I'm, I'm calling it right here on the podcast. I don't think Vladimir Putin sees 2024 one way or the other. I don't know if that's good or bad. You'd have a better take than me. Um, but, uh, I don't think he's well. And I can't imagine that people close to him are, are very happy with him. And God knows they're not afraid to off people over there.
1: Uh, correct. That's so, absolutely correct. Yeah. Or send you to a camp in the middle of Siberia.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, whatever, you know, there's intelligence, there's counterintelligence and uh, all kinds of stuff, but it, it's hard to pass off some of the footage you see of him. The needle trap. obviously he's had IVs. Um, he's always been a pretty virile guy and you don't see him out fly fishing or doing judo as much anymore.
1: No, and he's gotten a lot heavier too because yeah. he's been you know so inactive um and you know he doesn't want anyone close to him and yeah. he's fearful of covid and whatever it is that he thinks is gonna infect him um yeah, but real, yeah it'll be interesting Yeah,
0: real howard hughes vibes these days in addition to it's like uh you know howard hughes crossed with uh kim jong-un it's a real It's not not a a combination. I'm peeing in bottles and feeding people to pigs. It's not good. So, yeah, I I don't like, I don't keep up. You know, I'm not a serious student of any of this stuff, but I feel like I keep up maybe a little bit more than average. And China still worries me more than, than Russia does. But so, like, I haven't gotten into, okay, if he's gone, who steps up? but there is something to be said for the devil, you know, and we do know him well. Um, Correct. So,
1: but it, it also begs the question, how much have we romanticized the capability of the Russians and their military oh, yeah. for decades? Well, and you see it firsthand what's happening. Yeah.
0: Well, we talked about that a bunch. Um, you know, I know you've listened to some of the podcasts. Did you catch the episode with Bill, Bill Staley? Uh,
1: no, I haven't it, I haven't heard that one. Air Force
0: pilot, he's he hasn't been pinned yet, but he's been promoted to lieutenant colonel. He wasn't when he was on it came after the podcast. Um, but I can't remember what training he did, but his his focus now in the Air Force is strategic. And so we t- when he came on, it was still fairly early with the Ukraine conflict and it just, you know, just even as a layman boggled my mind. It boggles my- Russia right now does not own the airspace in Ukraine and I feel like that shocks everyone, people who should have known better. Of course, I'm not, not, you know, present company excluded. Um, but it's just like, no, you guys are supposed to be better than this. This should not be. And you're not, um,
1: Right. And and how many studies were done on, you know, Vladimir Putin and how many studies have been done on the GRU or, you know, what the military does and how they're constructed. And now, you know, they were the big bear and now you're seeing it. It's not necessarily the case because if you think about it, the Ukrainians are, they are capable, but they're a much smaller force yeah. and they didn't have what they needed to be successful they're making do with what they have um, and they're able to make headway against the Russians. So, yeah, you know, it, I, 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 think of it if we look holistically at the world, I think that we are probably paying way too much attention to what Putin is doing and we should be paying attention to what's going on in China and in that particular region.
0: I thought for sure, I thought for sure that once russia moved into ukraine that china would move on taiwan Mm -hmm. if which leads me to believe right now for all of the bluster i don't think they intend to do it anytime soon
1: yeah i mean i think i think they didn't they didn't capitalize on the on the gap right because the vacuum of What's happening in Ukraine and Russia has definitely created an ability for them to take advantage. But it
0: just between um, COVID and and Ukraine, it would have been the perfect time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. I'm not, I'm I just think that, they didn't.
0: I'm just shocked right. that they that they didn't.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out over the next, you know, two, four, six years. Um, And, you know, to see how Ukraine plays out over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months.
0: Um, It'd be interesting to see how things would play out with China if we we could stop letting them rip us off at every level of military and civilian technology and know-how. That would be interesting. Let's yeah. do that. Just, I'm just, yeah. I'm just spitballing here. Maybe in the next omnibus, omnibus bill, we could do that. Uh, yeah. Just, just one voice down here in Florida. Just one voter, but uh, uh, I pay my taxes, and I would like to see some of them go towards somebody going, "Hey, how do you feel about China?" Before I let you in this room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if we'll ever get there, maybe,
0: but yeah, but I'm just saying maybe let's keep the fang fangs of the world away away from our congressmen How about that <laughs> maybe maybe we stop training their best engineers and scientists maybe we stop because their checks cash so easy.
1: There you go. Yeah
0: it's uh it's in it's infuriating because they're not like i'm impressed with china china plays the long game like no other civilization on the planet right right now um, but there's um like they're just for for like uh for a culture that i think most of the world would so closely associate with honor the honor's all directed internally Correct. right like we'll steal you there, we'll steal I mean, your you you know it's, it
1: Right, and it's interesting because Russia and China are both very xenophobic. Yeah. So, you know, outsiders coming in is unheard of. That's not going to happen. So it's it's very interesting to see some of the similarities I blame it all on Genghis
0: Khan. He really messed up the psyche of the <laughs> steppes people in Asia. But the thing, like, for all the whatever, like, China's still not an innovator. They're not, I mean, they might steal and iterate, but where are they innovating?
1: I think that they are innovating, but in ways that we can't tell yet. And in areas that maybe aren't public, but I, I do think that they are innovating. Um, and I, I think if we look across the world right now, just from a military perspective, that's the buzzword, right? Innovation is the buzzword. How are we going to be able to do our jobs? Um remotely or from a different location than where we are currently located? Um, How are we going to be effective when everything that you do gives off, you know, some form of something that's traceable? Um, So I think if you look at it from that perspective, I think every military is probably looking at innovation and we just don't know what they're coming up with. But I would, I would argue that I think China is being innovative. It's just, we don't understand how yet.
0: Well, it's not, it's not terror. It's not terrifying at all. I, I f- like my, gr- my greatest hope you like, you hate to hope this for a people, right? Cause the people of China, it's a billion people. The people of China are not the problem, right? They are to the extent that they won't rise up and, and fight for their own freedom, but they're like, that's not where the issue is, but it's like, I, th- I think our best hope with China right now is that, like their economy does teeter on an edge. It does rely on us um, along with the rest of the world. And like, it would be, it's, it's not unrealistic to see pretty significant financial collapse in China, even in the near term, as strong as it seems like their, their economy is a lot of that's them propping things up. Uh, And it wouldn't, wouldn't hurt my feelings to see that get knocked down a few pegs. So, Apple, keep moving your manufacturing India, please. <laughs> Though India, not the uh, democratic ally they once were. So,
1: Which little known fact, back to Urdu, you can speak Urdu in India because the spoken form of Hindi is almost the same.
0: But is it like they don't get along well, are, are there? Well, or I'm that, just that, saying,
1: that, if I decided to go to India, I could communicate with folks that live there because of my Urdu language skills. So
0: this last line of conversation here leads, leads me <laughs> to, so, you know, you're away from the skydivers and back in the intelligence side of the house. Uh, what does that look like for you? Now, obviously, you're based stateside. Is there uh, a particular region you're focused on and like, how's, how's that look for you now?
1: Yeah. So I actually, um, got back in May from Poland. Um, my battalion at the time, I was a battalion operations officer. So my job was to ensure that our battalion was resource trained, um, certified to conduct intelligence operations. Um, and we also restructured into what's called an intelligence and electronic warfare battalion, um, which is, you know, thinking about, we talked about innovation, but thinking about the, the future force of what we want to look like in, you know, years from now, um, incorporating some of that, um, EW. So electromagnetic spectrum analysis and electronic warfare, um, So I got to go to Poland when the Ukraine crisis kicked off. So in February of this year, um, we went to Poland and we were assisting um, in ensuring that the folks that were, oh boy, (laughs) technical difficulties. Um, So we were ensuring that the folks that were coming from Ukraine that were refugees were able to get into Poland and get to places where they could seek, you know, assistance and help and things like that. Um, and then, you know, we were there to provide additional analysis to, um, the Polish and then, you know, across the Intel communities, um, analyzing some of what was coming out of Russia in regards to the Ukrainian crisis. Yeah. Um, so I got to do that. Um, was it, was then, it
0: Poland that took the stray missile hit?
1: It was Poland. Yes, that is correct.
0: Thank God. I it just killed it. a couple of randos and not like an Archduke, huh?
1: I know that is crazy. Jeez, you're playing but,
0: with fire over there. It's, it's insane. It's insane.
1: I know. I know. But I, I think the. You know, we're we're trying as, you know, NATO is trying to ensure that Ukrainians have what they need, the Ukrainian military has what it it needs to be able to fight the Russians. Um, but there's not a lot of time, right? So you are giving equipment to people, but maybe they don't necessarily have the amount of experience or time to understand its capabilities. So that, I think that was a, a good testament to the fact that they just they didn't have enough training yeah. and they didn't understand the capabilities and somebody hit a blue button instead of a green button. And that's what happened. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but Dude, so I did that.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, we, I, it's worth saying, cause we hit on a little bit and I, I talked about this on last week's podcast. There's no, like, I, I'm not ready to, uh, put Zelensky up for Sainthood. I don't think he's a white knight in this situation or any other. Um, but, uh, Man, the Ukrainian people are tough as freaking nails. Holy cow. Yeah. And it hacks me off all the more. Man, I wish I had a podcast back then, and I probably should have been. But this is the – when you let things like Crimea happen and go unanswered, you invite things like this. Like you can draw a direct line between the two. Yes. And it just goes back to – just it's what terrifies me uh, right now. Um, about our perception in the world is just a a weak America isn't good for anybody. Mm. An America that's perceived as weak or soft or hesitant just isn't good for anybody. I don't think we should be the world's police. I don't want to be the world's police, but ultimately somebody's got to smack idiots in the back of the head. And that's just been, just been us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And going back to your point about the Ukrainians and just their willpower, you know, I saw that a little bit when we were in Syria because ISIS was invading their land and they were taking, you know, people out of their own homes and killing them and telling them they had to leave and blowing up their residences. But at the end of the day, those Syrians and those people that were fighting were fighting for their country and fighting for their land. And they believed in the importance of their country and the importance of their land and like felt it in their soul, the importance of, you know, patriotism. And you see that in the Ukrainians as well. Yeah, They are, you know, tied to their land, they're tied to their people, they're tied to their traditions and their customs, and they are patriotic in wanting it to be defended. And I think that's something that isn't necessarily the same across the rest of the globe. Um, we, we, you know, oftentimes how many of us have lived in different areas and maybe don't associate with an area. Um, or if, if asked to sacrifice for their country, would they take up arms to defend their nation? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I do know in those two locations, I did, I did see that firsthand. Yeah,
0: Yeah. no, it's, I I think, I mean, you look at, so right, there was, there was tragedy and evil on nine 11, but there was beauty and strength on nine 12. Right. And so I think that's, um, like in in you know, our lifetime, I can't remember a time where our countries felt more divided. Um, and I I don't want to see so I don't think anybody wants to see anything like that to bring us back together. But I think something like that would were it to happen. Um, it's it's funny now at our at our size, though. We've talked about this um, you know, when Mike Redacted's on the podcast, like you look at the difference in the experience of our populace from world war II, where it really was all in. Um, And really we talked about this some on last week's podcast with Becca of, you know, you were, you know um, you were turning in 10 and you were growing victory gardens and everybody was doing their part and everybody felt the loss where it's like, you know, global war on terror was two decades long and fought by one percent. Of our populace less than 1% and you know, 10% of those just, I mean just the structure of the military and how it works Mm -hmm. 10% of those saw frontline combat and the rest are in in important. You can't go to war without it, but in support roles, like you gotta, you gotta be able to eat and somebody's got to bring you more bullets. Right. And so it's just so many people are so far removed from it. And I remember hearing, going back to uh, Dakota, which listeners we've talked about Dakota on here before. Dakota has his own Jocko go flavor stack savage. Um, But uh, you know, Dakota is a a medal of honor winner, but I just remember him talking about uh, seeing uh, on the wall or having on a wall in the barracks over there, like we're at war, the rest of America's at the mall or something very Mm -hmm. close to that effect. And that was, there was a lot of truth in that and not even nefarious, not that, I mean, you were just, it it just didn't impact the populace in, in the same way.
1: Yeah, Uh, absolutely. And I mean, I can recall, you know, both of my brothers went to school in New York city and they would, you know, be out at bars and, you know, mention their sister and her being deployed or supporting the war on terror or being in the army. And just the reaction from some people, just, it it was unheard of because it wasn't the norm. And unless you knew someone that was in the military, you didn't really have a connection to it. Like maybe you had, you know, six degrees of separation, but for the most part, you just, even now, I mean, it's still very small. How many people can say that they've deployed? The army today, more and more people don't have deployment patches because we don't have locations that you can go to as readily as we did before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's very interesting to see that.
0: So let's, let's see. Cause we we've caught up through your career. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I threatened you with reading your biography from go Uh And I, I'm a man of my word. So I, I want to recap some things here in case, in case we missed some things. Now it's a little out of date. Uh, because it has you as a major. When did you make lieutenant colonel?
1: Uh, one June of this year.
0: Did you? Did you? Did you know it wasn't iffy at all, right?
1: No, I don't think it was iffy. Um, I think the pickup rate was like seventy-two percent. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I knew that I would be on the list. Yeah. Um, and I so my chain of command did something really cool for me. The position that I am in is a lieutenant colonel position. When my name came out on the promotable list, they sent up the paperwork to promote me early in what they call a frocking so that I would have that promotion for the position. So um, my commander said that he you know needed to have a lieutenant colonel in the position and I was the right fit so he put in that paperwork for me so I got to get promoted um relatively quickly after the list came out
0: that's cool yeah. <laughs> just still just overachieving still mm-hmm. just just a band major just applying early <laughs> It just so let's see we won't go through all there's the Spanish and French on there mechanical engineering which we now know is just kind of a gimme Um, let's see where's the fun stuff here you are a graduate of the basic officer leadership course military police officer basic course military police captain's career course u.s. army command and general staff college intermediate level education (gasps) special operations language training there's the urdu u.s. army pathfinder airborne and u.s. army jump master school Assignments include MP platoon leader. I'm, there's too many acronyms here. See, I'm saving you some. Overseas assignments include Iraq and Syria. Here's, here's the part none of you ever like for anybody to read, and I'm going to read it anyways, because the rest of us are impressed by it. And, uh, you know, we believe you deserve the recognition for your service here. So awards and decorations include combat action badge, bronze star medal, I didn't read these before now, uh, and I don't normally share the video of the podcast, so only the uh, Patreon supporters and your friends and family get to see my face reacting to these. What's three LC? What's the what's that mean behind that?
1: So that means that I received it three times. So the oak leaf cr- clusters are how many times you received that award?
0: Meritorious Service Medal two, Joint Defense Service Medal. Army Commendation Medal. She only has four of those. The Army Achievement Medal. Uh, just another another four there. National Defense Service Medal. Iraqi Campaign Medal. Inherent Resolve Medal. Uh, Global War on Terrorism Service Medal. The Army Service Ribbon. The Overseas Service Ribbon. The Basic Parachutist Badge. And the Pathfinder Badge. Her foreign decorations include the German Foreign Jump Wings. Guten Tag, Germany. We have some German listeners. Uh, and German Armed Forces badges of proficiency and gold. Now, some of these you just get, correct? Right, like there was one all throughout Global War on Terror. You graduated basic, you got pinned with. Which one of those was it? Like every
1: NDSM, okay. the NDSM you got, you just graduated and you got it.
0: Um, bronze stars, not so much. Um, are those? Are those Patreon stories?
1: Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> Are those f- screw you Patreon? Maybe next time you're in town, stories. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would say that that's probably it. Yes, oh. the next time I'm visiting Kale and Jade, that'll be a story. <laughs> so uh,
0: you've had a bit of a career, and uh, and you're not done. So I am
1: um. not. In fact, I'm I'm getting ready to go to the 82nd Airborne Division after this job so i will head back over to the 82nd and spend some time with them
0: how tough i get is colonel like full bird
1: well so you have to be a battalion commander in military intelligence you have to be a battalion commander in order to be full bird colonel on the active duty side um so i competed for battalion command this year um i did not get selected for it um, not uncommon. They give you three tries to do, to do that. Um, I've had a really unique career and I haven't spent a lot of time in the conventional military intelligence, um, I haven't spent a lot of time as a military intelligence officer in the conventional army. So because of that, you know, I have to sew my own and I'm going to give it another try this year and see if I get the invite for battalion command. Um, and then if I do that, then we'll see what happens. If I don't listen, Lieutenant Colonel is pretty great and making it and being a Lieutenant Colonel and retiring at 20 years with a full pension and, you know, I, I'm okay and I'm comfortable with
0: that. Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel, in and of itself, in in uh, Bill was breaking it down for us when he was on. It's it's a little bit of a different thing. Like he he was up front. He's like At Air Force. It's not. He's like it's not as tough a thing. Like he's pretty young. He's like it's not. I'm a little young for it. He's like not much. Uh, But uh, in the army, it was funny that one time uh, that same uh, ex brother-in-law when he was done flying, uh, he was stationed at the Pentagon for a while in the DIA. And so we went and visited and, and did a Pentagon tour and I was just like, you know, you grow up and you watch the movies and you hear about these great generals and these great admirals. And it's like such this venerated thing. And I'm, you know, we're out in the courtyard because he's showing us like the food stand in the, in the middle, you know, whatever there's with what the quad, the yard, whatever in the middle of the Pentagon, you, know, you could throw a rock and hit a general. I'm like, how are there so many of you guys?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. like there should be like six of you max. Uh, no. but, but one stars. I mean, it's like somebody. You ever had a box of Nerds candy and accidentally dropped it? <laughs> imagine those Nerds are one star generals, and it's just yeah. they're like the guys like cleaning the floors at the Pentagon. It's insane. Yeah. So
1: yeah, and imagine the lieutenant colonels what they're
0: doing <laughs> at the Pentagon. <laughs> yes, good lord. So if you never toured, listeners, if you never toured the Pentagon, hey, go visit the memorial. It's beautiful. The nine eleven memorial there is is really cool, really unique. Um. But uh, the if you can get yourself into a Pentagon tour, it's it's pretty neat. There's a little chapel now where the plane hit the building, and uh, you know. Also, on the next trip down, I need to know what your medals are for, and I need to know I'm no conspiracy theorist. I'm really not. I uh, I am in uh, the camp of Benjamin Franklin. I believe three men may keep a secret if two of them are dead. The hole in the side of the Pentagon still doesn't make sense to me. So we're gonna talk. We gotta talk about that. At some point. And also, there's been uh, recent revelations. Obviously, uh, CIA, a different side of the house for you. But, like, there's some actual, like, some, I mean, shocker. Uh, but some legit stuff out now tying them to the assassination of Kennedy. I'm just saying, next time we get together, I got a lot of questions.
1: Yeah, uh, I just saw that today. But I only saw it on someone's Instagram story. So, I'm going to have how, to do some digging. That's how you t- know t-game. it's true.
0: That's how. Yeah,
1: well, I know. You, can,
0: you, can you disclose what your... Uh, security clearance, what's your level? What's your, if you stumbled into a closet at Mar-a-Lago, could you read through a box of documents without going to jail?
1: If they were properly marked, yes.
0: <laughs> uh, seems like that part would be hit or miss. Uh,
1: Co- correct. It's a loaded, they mixed it's a loaded comment. Fixtures. Who
0: knows? Yeah, there's no there's no win. No matter that's a 50-50 question. No matter how you answer, somebody's gonna be pissed. So just laugh at me. I'm okay <laughs> with it. Yes. Um.
1: um so full circle, I we we need to bring it back.
0: We do. To- uh, yes, I I promised uh, an M Night Shyamalan type reveal. So going all the way back to the beginning, beginning right through through all this, uh, right your origin story really is still that does it's not necessarily it's not personally defining. Obviously. Um, you've you've led uh, an incredible and I think most would say uh you know noteworthy uh, life, but all goes back to that adoption, right And something I, mm-hmm. I meant to ask when we first kind of hit on it were were you raised knowing that you were adopted like her? you know,
1: yeah, so my parents incorporated it at every stage of my life. When I was younger, it would be like a bedtime story. And as I got a little older, I realized, hey, that's me. We're talking about me in this bedtime yeah. story and started asking questions. Um, and as I, you know, grew up, my mom especially would, you know, answer the questions that I had about it. Um, but the, the great thing about my family is they never made me feel different. Like I was always one of the family. Um, I was always considered blood to every, you know, in every aspect of my family. Um, But I do think it may not have been a defining moment, but I do think that my parents took a chance on me by adopting me. They didn't know what they were going to get. Yeah. And I oftentimes, when making decisions on what I wanted to do, I always wanted to choose something that would make them know that they made the right decision on me. Yeah. So, you know, West Point, being able to achieve that and being able to say, you know, I'm a child of adoption and my parents, you know, gave me everything um because this woman decided to give me up and this is this is what I'm doing to give back to them for you know raising me um was kind of how I looked at it um yeah. but yeah it was it was always a, it was always known to me it was never something that was not known um there were aspects of it that my mom just didn't know she you know I I knew my biological mother's name I knew that she had had a child um, a a boy who was about 18 months older than me. Um, I know that the man that she had slept with was my biological father was not the same man that she was currently with. And she didn't recall a lot of details about my biological father. In fact, the only thing that she recalled to my mom was a connection to the Navy Um, so growing up, that's really, you know, I didn't think that I was going to ever find anything out about my biological father. Um, and when I was a senior in college, my mom hired, um, a, like a findering organization, a finders Uh company. Um, and they gave us a, an address and a phone number of a woman who we think was, you know, my biological mother. And I tried calling it, and the person on the other line, you know, it's you have to tread carefully because you don't know what the person's situation is on the other side. You don't know if they told anyone that they were actually pregnant. You don't know if they told anyone that they were giving a baby up. You you have to understand that there's some nuanced approaches to asking somebody if they're your mom. Yeah. So I had just the woman on the other side seemed as though when I said her name and I asked if she had any connection to a little girl, um, in 1984, she seemed a little taken aback, um, and then proceeded to say, well, that person doesn't live here anymore. So, Uh, that was kind of the closest that I ever got to finding anyone that I was related to. And until I had my son, I had no one that I was blood related to. So, you know, when my son was born, all these questions that were asked to me, like, what's what runs in your family? And, you know, you know, do you have cancer in your family? Do you have heart disease? And every single time I'd say, I have no clue what runs in my family. Um, So
0: you here, you find yourself, you know, Uh, mid thirties, you you know, these questions you can't answer for your son. And here you are, this accomplished intelligence officer with uh, a bit of a mystery in your origin story.
1: Yeah. So, um, my, my mom, knowing how much I was just curious about my, really my ethnicity, because I look like my family. If you and you saw pictures of my family. Crazy
0: amounts like your family.
1: I know we look alike. We all have, you know, dark hair or dark eyes and we all have similar facial structure. So I wanted to know if I was actually Italian. Yeah. I wanted to know what my ethnicity was. So my mom got me a 23 andme kit for Christmas a couple of years ago. And I thought there's no way I'm going to find anyone that I'm related to, but you know what, what have we got to lose? Yeah. I'll at least know what my ethnicity is. Yeah. And I'll say um,
0: these things are are crazy listeners. If you haven't done them, I know ancestry has their own 23 and is obviously out there. Like my, my wife and I, did them and it's funny you can attest to this as you're doing this there there's screens that you're having to like triple click on warning you, like you can't unlearn (laughs) things and they mean familial things. Like it might be that you find out that, uh, you know, uncle Dave is actually daddy Dave and (laughs) how like the family's got some questions to answer, or you could learn about genetic disorders or diseases. They're very upfront about, you know, do this, but you, you can't unlearn the things you're going to see. And when we did it, we haven't done it with our kids yet because they're too young, but we ended up, you know, it was so cool that we, we bought them for my mom and my dad. And I'm so glad that we did because my dad has since passed away, but we still have that done. And then we ended up, we bought them for, um, I can't remember if we bought one for Jade's mom. I think we did, but we bought one for her dad and we, and we bought one for her grandpa on, on her dad's side. So we, we saw all these family connections that we did in 23 and me, and it's such a cool thing.
1: It is absolutely remarkable. So, I do the 23 me and um I elect to have the option to connect to family like relations right where it basically gives you a family tree and it it tells you how closely related you are to other people. Yeah. Um and then I got the ethnicity back too which I am partially Italian, but really the majority, I am Irish and British. So it's interesting either way. Um, but I do have some Italian, so we can at least claim that 15%. So we're good with that. Um, but I, I see on there my paternal grandfather is listed. Um, and I am, Absolutely stunned. I have no idea what is going on. So, of course, I'm like, oh, I have to send a message. Like, I'm going to send a message to this random dude that's Sorry. my grandfather. <laughs>
0: How do you even approach that then? Like, what What does that message look like?
1: Um... I don't even remember what I said. Um, I think I mentioned like I was adopted at birth and I'm just trying to figure out my family history and um, I I don't remember what it said. Um, But then I also had a connection to a first cousin on my paternal side. So not only did I have Absolutely no information on my biological father growing up. I had no idea anything about him. But now on 23andMe, I have no connection to anyone on my maternal side. I am only finding people on my paternal side. So I am completely surprised. So my first cousin is listed on there. And I sent or she maybe reaches out to me and says, hey, I've never... I've never met you before. <laughs> Are you potentially so-and-so's child? And I was like, no, I was adopted. And I think I also prefaced with like, I'm not trying to upset the Apple cart. I'm literally just trying to figure out my, you know, family aspect of things. Right. So yeah, that that well, that brings us to that point.
0: I, I was gonna, I was gonna try and chime in there. Uh-huh. Um, because I was going to try and le- read your, your message to your paternal grandfather, uh, to the listeners. And, and, um, the reason I would be able to read that is that when we did 23 and me for my wife's grandfather, we set his kit up on my account. And when Marissa sent her newly found paternal grandfather, a message and 23 and me, it came to me.
1: Oh, I just got chills.
0: <laughs> and so, um, I, I, you know, it came, th- it came through him. Obviously, you're thinking you're reaching out to him. Um, the, the real suck of this, and and we'll get into it, is you messaged me. This was maybe a few months after he had passed. Um, and he lived well into his 90s. lived lived an amazing life, and we'll talk some about him. Um, so it's, you know, the, if there's a sad note, it's, it's a happy ending. I feel like right now, though it's not done, but I think we're at a happy point in the story, but a bit of a bummer to, to get that message with him having passed. But so I show it to my wife and I'm like, do you know who this is? Um, and she's thinking, right? Like she has, so my, my wife's dad is is one of five. Now one's a, a stepsister and then he's one of four boys with your grandfather. Uh, now he's out of the running for being your dad because he was in 23 and me, and he showed up as an uncle and of course my wife showed up as your first cousin. Um, so it, we've narrowed it down uh, to, to, <laughs> we know
1: one is not my dad. Three,
0: and that's where we're, that's where we're stopped right now. So we've identified an uncle for you, but I, I show it to her. And, um, one of the, one of the uncles, you know, has a daughter from a previous relationship and, and they're not close or, or, you know, I don't know the whole story there and wouldn't air it out if I did, but. that was her assumption that this is, this is this individual. And then, but as she's, as she's looking at it and thinking about the name and stuff, because we know the name of, of that individual, um, you know, she's like, no, that's not, that's not who that is. So now we're intrigued. And I think that's the point where she reaches out to you. Uh,
1: Right. And she sends me a message and she says, hi, Marissa wanted to reach out and ask if you would like to connect. Do you know who your parents are? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, of course, I write back and I said, Hey, Jade, I actually don't know who my biological parents are. I was adopted at birth. My biological mom didn't give a lot of information to my adopted family other than I have a half-brother and she didn't know my biological father very well. And then we continue. So Jade, basically, we talk back and forth I sent her an email of, you know, where I came from and my background story. And then, um, Jade sends me, you know, everything about my grandfather and, what he was like and Sid, his wife and what she was like and, um, the dynamics of the family. And then, you know, we still aren't able to nail down who we think my father is. Yeah.
0: So to, to fill the listeners in here, because the, the story is cooler than this is that um jade's jade's grandpa um alexander we called him aj one uh like pure italian family first generation immigrant he was the youngest of i want to say seven he was the only one born here the rest of them were born in wait for it italy, italy. um so yeah you've got at least that 15 percent italian in there and we, we you know you get to know where that comes from now but um just an awesome dude, an incredible dude, One absolutely lived a life of service, um, enlisted in the Navy in World War II and and did his stint in the Navy then and um, went to uh, Penn State and was proud of that his whole life. He wore his Penn State ring for as long as I knew him, as long as I came into the picture Um, and then ended up commissioned as an officer in the Air Force from which he retired as a wait for it, Lieutenant Colonel. Um, and just was, he, he was, um, he was proud. He was always very, very proud of his service. Uh, A lot of people in the family, myself included, continued to refer to him, uh, as Colonel. And, uh, you know, just the the bummer is, like, it's so cool to get to meet you, to get to know you, to have you um, in our lives now, to have this little mystery that we all kind of, uh, you know, are working some angles on right now anyways, but just to, like, know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I didn't know him as well as other people in the family. Obviously, I didn't know him as long of, as 90 years, uh, but he and I got to be pretty good friends. We had some real common interests. He was a, he was a big reader, um, just would have adored you would have 100% claimed credit, I believe genetically for your service. Um, but uh, just, uh, just would have been beaming, uh, you know, to have uh, Lieutenant Colonel granddaughter, 100% beyond uh, a shadow of a doubt. Um, and so, you know, we're left now with uh, you and Jade convert. I think you guys have gone back and forth a bunch until, you know, uh, since that time. And then, yeah. uh, and then we got to meet in person here finally. And it was funny. I was chuckling. Uh, You know, listeners will know I don't script the podcast. I don't write out questions. I don't write notes and it shows, (laughs) but uh, you know, knew kind of the way we were going to structure this reveal. But I was laughing so much as you were describing like who you were as a student and and, in school and uh, even at West Point, just because, you know, we're meeting up to eat. You were in town here recently. So we finally got to meet with you and your husband uh, in person. And, uh, you know, I'd like for, at least for our part, I'd like to say, that we all hit it off fast friends, and it was just funny. Uh, we beat you guys there. There was, it was a restaurant with two locations, and we were at different <laughs> ones because, of course, and like we're there, and we have our food you know, we've ordered little stuff. Uh, you walk in, A, not unlike with your brothers and your family, you and Jade absolutely look like family instantly. <laughs> You sit down with no prompting without being like, oh, what are you having? You order the same thing Jade had. And then, so Jade um, was um, valedictorian of her high school. She went to honors college where she grad. I always forget because I'm the one, remember the hooked on phonics thing didn't work for me. <laughs> Whatever's better, magna cum laude or summa cum laude is how she graduated with, her, you know, from honors college, uh, you know, while overcoming some pretty significant challenges so she didn't do band, but she was a big chorus geek. I don't know if you guys have covered that. So no drum major, but sang in top uh, choruses in high school. So it's uh, like y'all are family for sure. Just big ol' overachieving nerds. Uh, That's right. And it's, and it's genetic. And so we haven't narrowed down the dad thing yet. Um,
1: We haven't. No. And, you know, going back to, you know, that nuanced approach to people that are in this environment, it's it can be alarming. Right. And you want to make sure that the people that you are potentially meeting want to know who you are but then the people that are on the opposite end of it on the receiving end they're probably concerned about what your wishes are and what your intentions are because i could see people thinking that you know there's a a negative intent behind it what are they looking for are they trying to get something from me um, so it's, it's really hard to, to navigate that. And yeah. you're dealing with somebody's personal life that they didn't talk about. So, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna upend something. Um, so yeah, I could see how it's a little bit yeah. troublesome we've to had figure a, that we've out. We've
0: had a hard time because we can't tie out just the, the way some of the things like the Navy thing doesn't really tie out because it would have been in a time frame that your grandpa Uh, was no longer in the Navy, but it would have been military. So it could have just been some terminology there. The locations don't really tie out to where people live, but certainly anybody could have been visiting or traveling. So there's not any really great ways to narrow down any of the, any of the three remaining. And I'm sure there's people, you know, yelling at their AirPods right now. Well, like, why (laughs) don't you just ask them? Oh gee, I wish any of us had thought of that. That's what you were (laughs) just kind of breaking down in a, in a very diplomatic way, which is, it's, it's tricky. Right. And if right. things are settled, maybe you don't want to revisit old things. Um, so we had our theories, like we, Jade had seen you. We, now we've met you. We've talked to you, seen pictures, uh, you know, mostly in army recruiting ads. And uh, we like, <laughs> so of course we know these guys, we've got pictures of these guys. And, uh, you know, my wife in particular had, I'm never the person that was like, Oh, that baby looks super like that parent. I'm just like, I don't, I don't see it. Um, but so she, she had some pretty strong vibes of who, which one she thought it was. And, boys, if any of you are listening, I want credit that I'm not naming any of you right now. <laughs> I've got thoughts. I've got thoughts. Um, but we brought family photo albums with us uh you know um your your grandma sis who i mean she was an amazing woman in her own right she kept these incredible like annual photo albums and when they passed we inherited some of those so we brought some of them and they're from around that time frame within a few years and you know as you're looking at them i i think you you kind of turned us uh on who who we think it It is. So it remains a mystery right now. I have my own, my desires to solve this are a little more devious than everyone else's. I (laughs) feel like oh, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Um, But uh, I I, I think at some point we will. And, uh, you know, and hopefully we will. And
1: I, I think, you know, hopefully as the family starts to get wind of me being around that they'll realize that I am only interested in being part of the family in a family aspect because yeah. it's important for me to understand sort of what my genetic makeup is and um you know i am blessed that i have a mom and dad and family that raised me to understand how important family is and to continue to you know show gratitude towards these, this woman that decided to make this sacrifice to give up a baby. Um, yeah. So I just, I want, I want the family to know that even though they might not have known that I existed, that there is so much good that came out of that decision.
0: Yeah. And I'll say, uh, cause I know at least your mom's on here. Uh, Chirichellas. Did I do it right? You did. Boom. I can be taught. Uh, y'all did a fantastic job. She's, all yours, uh, and hopefully you guys won't mind us claiming her just uh, just a little bit. Uh, but uh, job, job well done. So
1: I'm sure she, I mean, she already said that she's crying, so <laughs> my mom is is throwing in the heart emojis in the chat. Um but yeah I and you know what was crazy is how similar Jade and I physically look. Yes. When we stand next to each other. Like uh-huh. that to me was just so cool cuz I you know I had you know resembled my family growing up but this was the first time being around somebody who was genetically connected to me and actually looked like me.
0: Yeah. Well and uh, Jade's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, cause like I said, you know, uh, her dad was one of five and, you know, four biological. And so there's some, uh, some other cousins floating around there. And of course it took, I needed a flow chart for a long time to figure out just Jade's individual family. We won't get into all that here on the podcast, but there's, uh, you know, there's some other, uh, half, I guess all half cousins floating around in there too. So you know, it's just a just a sea of discovery.
1: It is, <laughs> wait, and wait, and when yeah, we do yeah. figure it out, we have to just dedicate a whole podcast, and it has to be a big reveal. Oh, yeah,
0: <laughs> no, we got to do one of those uh, like old school um, like family reunions with like the shirts, and oh, you're like yeah. a crowd walking around the theme park. We just got to cheese it up, and we'll go eat yeah. Italian and. You can share state secrets with us because we're fam. Don't don't do that. I I hear military prisons are a real bummer. So don't.
1: Yeah. uh, Fort Leavenworth, (laughs) not really on my list of uh, places to uh, live at. So no, thank you.
0: So listeners, hopefully that delivered. I it's not quite M night Shyamalan. Uh, Marissa was not in fact dead this entire podcast. Very much alive. Um, Yeah. But uh, I I thought that was a a cool one. And uh, yeah, we we hooked up and we we hung out here recently. And then, of course, uh, the podcast came up because it's like doing CrossFit or Paleo. (laughs) Um,
1: you got to mention that you're a podcaster. Yeah,
0: yeah. How do you know somebody has a podcast? Just wait. They'll, they'll tell you. Let's <laughs> talk about that. I'm like, yeah, you got to come on the podcast for sure. Um, and so, you know, I, I was talking to somebody else about it. I'm like this, Marissa is somebody who I would have on the podcast period. Like if we met and we were friends <laughs> and you had this career I'd be like, yeah, you got to come talk on the podcast about it. But when I'm like, no, we know each other because of twenty three and me and there's some scandal <laughs> and some mystery involved. We need to do like a little a little maybe we'll do maybe this will be a twenty twenty-three project. Uh because everybody loves true crime. I'm gonna do a little solid seven spin-off. We'll do our little true crime like a ten or fifteen minute hit a month on us zeroing in on the father
1: on the father yeah find her father
0: no I I wouldn't ambush him but I I I do well uh, off air we'll we'll trade some trade craft secrets because I've got actually, they're not I I gave you all my ideas when we met but <laughs> <laughs> we can we can get this figured out so oh, well, no. yeah amazing so glad we met so glad you reached out on there bum that you guys lived so far away. Uh, we had a ton of fun hanging out, but, uh, you know, listeners, if you've ever been in North Carolina, you know, anything that adds to an excuse to visit North Carolina is a, is a good thing anyways. And I've never, uh, and my GORUCK friends will, uh, cause of course we're a GORUCK affiliate here. So they'll, uh, chastise me for this, but I've never been to brag. Not even. Yeah. For and
1: Goroq has a big event here. Yeah. So you probably should get on that.
0: Yeah. The the Brag events are a big deal. Those, of course, being uh, you know home of Brag being home of Army Special Forces, as far as well as um, other little groups of secret squirrel friends that Marissa won't talk about. <laughs> <to us>. So <laughs> it's a special place full of special people.
1: Special people. <laughs>
0: Uh, well thank you so much for doing this this is awesome legit no cliche which way everybody has different takes on how they like or don't like to be thanked for your service uh, but your service record uh, though it's not done yet is not one to shake a stick at and uh, uh, most of us out here still uh, appreciate it I know there's some uh, you know we'll, we'll leave it at that So appreciate what you do and and who you are. Appreciate you taking the time to come and do this. Um, You know, uh, appreciate you feeding me uh, names and phone numbers and email addresses of celebrities that you jumped with the golden Knights off air for (laughs) podcast booking purposes. Um, These are the prices you pay to get into the family. It's a whole Italian vibe. Uh, uh,
1: you are welcome. And no, I will not share any personal data of people that have jumped with the golden Knights, but you are welcome.
0: Appalling, <laughs> deeply troubling. So Well, and we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to do it again sometime. We'll, uh, uh, particularly, so the podcasts all over the place. I think you've leaned that at this point. We really do mm-hmm. talk about whatever's going on in the world that interests us. And certainly these days uh, an informed geopolitical take with a military bent is uh, is always welcome because uh, there's a lot of talking heads out there that think they have a clue and are just pontificating. And, yeah. uh, and then there's people in the know that are dealing with it day in and day out and, uh, you know, over trying to, you know, get refugees fed and teach people how to use advanced missile systems on the fly. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's somebody's got to do it. Hey, do you think uh, uh, this might be too current for you to be able to comment on not whether or not we're doing it uh, just individual take. Uh, you think it's a good idea for us to send Patriots over there? Yes and no. The missiles, not the human beings.
1: Yeah. Yes and no. I I mean, I think if we're trying to look at it from a a NATO capability perspective and trying to ensure that there's no more movement closer to the border of NATO countries, then yes. Um, Where, you know, I look at it negatively is that takes away from a capability for our military, right? Because. We're not we're not creating them to send it. They already exist in our inventory, which means that that creates a loss. Which means that we have to develop more. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's positives and negatives to it. Um, now, mind you, that's not the DoD's opinion. That is my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, but I think that you know I, I get worried when we start taking our stock um and giving it to ours being the military stock and yeah. giving it to um, Ukraine. But I do see some value in it.
0: Yeah. It f- f- feels so inflammatory, Uh
1: I think the way that it was released and how it was released and, you know, I think a lot of it is inflammatory. Um, but that's my own personal opinion. I feel like we are... So, you I mean, you said it earlier. We're such a divided country right now, yeah. and everything that a particular party or a particular entity wants to get across is done so in a way that it spins. Um so I think at th- at this juncture, that was a spin for um a particular organization or a particular political view. Um, so unfortunately I feel like that's the, we're kind of in the era of muckraking again in a way.
0: Yes. But Elon's going to fix it. It's cool. Yes, Twitter's the best it's ever been right now. I love it so much. That's a whole other podcast. It's much fun. Uh, well for real, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Hopefully we all get to hang again soon. Um, yes. hopefully you guys don't have any more power outages while it's freezing. Oh my
1: gosh. I hope,
0: I hope not. Uh, and, uh, listeners, thank you. Hopefully you got to the, the turn. Hopefully you got to the, the reveal there. <laughs> hopefully it, uh, it paid off. I, I think it did. And, uh, listeners, we appreciate you as always turn tuning in first episode of the year. Uh, you know, big things, uh, ahead. So stick with us and I appreciate you tuning in if you haven't already visit the website, solid seven podcast.com solid, the number seven podcast.com where you can always find links to the latest episodes of the podcast. Like the one that you just listened to, you can find upcoming events. I think the only one I have on there right now is Sandlot Jack's coming up in uh, April, but we'll probably throw some other stuff on there. Uh, our affiliates are all there. Go Ruck, Jocko fuel, origin, Tuttle twins, uh, hit them up, show them some love, uh, every dollar you spend, uh, with those, uh, businesses, uh, A little bit comes this way, uh, which is always nice. There's some good causes on there uh, to support. Uh, And, of course, if you want to become a Patreon supporter... Highly encourage you to do that. You could have listened to this. You could have listened to this live. You could chat. You could ask questions. Um, You know, you could uh, console uh, Marissa's mom as I uh, (laughs) uh, make her cry with the podcast, which I I feel kind of bad about now. Um, You know, all all that, all kinds of benefits to Patreon. But the best thing uh, would be just if you could subscribe, follow, give us a thumbs up, a, a, a review, five stars, whatever your app lets you do that helps uh, everybody find us, helps the algorithms tell people that uh, they need to know about us. And uh, so with that, I think, uh, I think we've, I think we've done it. I think we've successfully podcasted for the first of the year. Marissa, thank you so much. You're welcome. Listeners. We love you. We'll see you next week. The solid seven podcast is fueled by Jocko go engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life. Pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit jockofuel.com today, and you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order, get on the path, and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, And this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.